0: bangly bang on the Empire Podcast this week cake or death or a chat with Eddie Izzard and we choose the latter option yes indeed because we talk to the star and writer of Six Minutes to Midnight and that's not all Kate bloody Winslet the star of Ammonite also pops by and that's what I call a win-wins situation Win- Winslet <clears throat> Wins- Winslet the. All that and usual news and nonsense on the Movie Podcast that is currently putting together a reel of our greatest hits to enter this year's British Podcast Awards. Don't fancy your chances of winning if I'm honest. So far it's zero minutes and zero seconds long. Maybe I'll put <laughs> this intro in. Guaranteed okay. victory. It's a win-wins situation. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, Do you know, it's been a year pretty much since we've started doing these things in lockdown, since we started recording the podcast via Squadcast. And that means it's been pretty much a whole year since I introduced my three colleagues, but two this week of such lethal cunning to the glory that is the three fact structure. Uh, Please welcome them, everybody. Look at their little faces overcome with joy, our geek queen, Helen O'Hara.
1: Hello. <laughs>
0: and our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hi. <laughs> it's one year old, folks. Yay! I can't three
2: believe we doing this remotely and dealing with that hateful segment now for
0: 12 long, arduous months. Just the mm-hmm. worst. I mean, Two weeks. Worst. It has taken some time off for bad behaviour. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't <laughs> been in every single show. But by and large, the three facts structure has been in every episode. Now... There's only three of us this week, so should I give it time off for bad behaviour once more, or do you have idea. facts?
1: I mean, I do, but what a great idea, anyway. Sure,
2: I have a fact. In okay. fact, I want to do my fact, because I've got a fact. In fact, I can give you two facts. My oh, first God. fact <laughs> is simply the fact that you'll find the Pilot TV entry for the British oh, Podcast Awards. No. It's already completed and submitted, I mean, what's the and point? it is magnificent. I mean, we're, we are, we're a minute in into it, you know. yeah, just. It's legendary. Guaranteed win Guaranteed win Is
1: it Is Is it though Is
0: it (laughs) British podcast awards Judges listen to this And go This This clip appears To contain Bell ends How did that happen (laughs) I mean I can't argue With that Yeah Yeah Uh, Is that your fact Is that your fact No I have another fact Do you want to hear My other fact Yeah might as well I have a fact this week I have a fact You have a fact this week I have a fact Maybe you should kick off Should I kick off I want to hear your facts. I'm going to kick off. I'm going to kick okay. off. Now, this is in, in grand James Dyer style. I took this from the internet this week. It was The internet was abuzz with this, in fact. And I, I thought for a second that at least one of you fuckers, most likely James, was going to use this as their fact this week. But it turns out, how well do you know Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery? I've seen it. You've seen it. Of course you have. And I imagine you sat stony faced. I did not enjoy it. <laughs> not not at all. Not no. not
2: one single time. I saw bit. the first one, the second one, and then I absolutely refused to watch the third one.
1: The third one wasn't as good. That was a not a bad decision. Whoa, the first whoa, one is, whoa, whoa. is
0: genuinely good. Yeah no. The Austin Powers trilogy goes like this the first one is great, the second one is not great, the third one is very good. That's mm. how uh, it works. Right. It goes yeah, it's, it's like a uh, roller coaster ride. It goes fair, down fair. and up again. Uh, Which one has but, the joke in it? Oh my god! Oh my god! James is such a That's fucking bellend. He's such. I hate that guy. I cannot oh, stand him. How do I tell him that due to the unfreezing process, <laughs> I have no inner <laughs> monologue? Anyway, uh, so this week I discovered that there's a great gag. There's a great running gag in Austin Powers: International Man of Mystery, 1997, directed by Jay Roach, uh, <laughs> written by Mike Myers, uh, in which we see. A number uh, of anonymous henchmen who work for Doctor Evil are killed, and the movie then cuts to their family <laughs> or cuts to their friends enjoying fun times. So it cuts to like this. So the do you remember the bit in Austin Powers yeah. where Austin and um, Vanessa played, of course, indelibly by Elizabeth Hurley, mm-hmm. uh, run over a henchman in the steamroller. Steamroller, yeah. yeah. And James, you must even appreciate that gag where he's he's screaming in terror as they come towards him in the steamroller, incredibly and then, slowly. Yeah, and then he cut to the wide shot, and they're like fifty feet away from him, and he could just get out of the way, but he doesn't because it's a comedy. And then they roll over him, and then we cut to a shot of some pastry being flattened by <laughs> a rolling pin, and it's the guy's wife and and son, and then she gets stepson. a phone call, stepson. Mm. And she gets a phone call and she's like, yes, yes, my husband works for Dr. Evil as a henchman. What's that? Flattened by flattened by a steamroller. Oh no! And then the son's like, "What's up, mom?" And he's like, "I'm afraid your dad's been flattened by a steamroller." And he's like, "Oh no! Ever since dad left, he's been like a father to me." And it's it's very very funny. And then there's another sequence later on where a Smitty. henchman gets decapitated. Yes, which is why my squadcast name this week is John Smith. Raise a glass to Smithy, uh, who is decapitated by one of Doctor Evil's mutated sea bass. Okay. And then we cut to a party of guys at a Hooters led by Rob Lowe. And they're all there together for Smitty's either birthday or stag do. I think it's his bachelor party. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're there for a bachelor party. And then they get a phone call, Smith Party. <laughs> Rob Lowe has to go straight face, what's that? Decapitated by an <laughs> irritated mutated sea bass. And then he has to go back to the party and go, hey guys really sorry, but John Smith will not be coming at all because he's been decapitated by an ill-tempered mutated sea bass. There's a they, fact in here somewhere, right? I appreciate shut, the irony of me asking this. Up. Hang on a second. None <laughs> of these things is your fact. You get not to talk. You do not get to talk in this bit. <laughs> I've, went, I've sat through a year of your filibustering nonsense. Oh,
1: my God. This is
0: my time.
1: My time.
0: <laughs> reclaiming
1: oh my time. No, yes, reclaiming indeed. my time.
2: Please, please carry on with your scene by scene
0: recreation of Austin Powers. <laughs> Don't challenge me. I am good <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> anyway, so then he raises the glass. They all raise a glass to Smitty and Toast. And that's the joke. So it's yeah. a great joke, you know, the idea yeah. that none of us henchmen actually have lives and wives and, and, you know, there's sadness when they actually get killed. Here's the thing. Uh-huh. Those scenes were not in the American version of Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. They were snipped. They were cut. They were excised. They were left on the cutting room floor. And I wonder what else was cut from that comedic masterpiece, Director J. Roach. Other than the hair from Dr. Evil's scrotum.
1: Okay, just I mean just a couple of notes. I mean, first of all, you tweeted that, so we knew it. Shut the whole thing up. is Shut we're up. not supposed to know the facts. It's my rules, um, my party, my rules. <laughs> um but also so you don't know why they were cut.
0: No. Oh, Should okay. I email Jay Roach? Yeah, yes. maybe. Okay, <laughs> I've never emailed. I've never emailed him before, but I have his email address. I could, I could email him. Hello, Jay Roach. You won't remember me, but you gave me your email address ages ago. Anyway, in a
1: very ill-advised move. Anywho, I
0: hope this finds you well. I'll just, I'll just do it you know, so you can actually get a sense of it. Hello, Jay amazing. Roach. Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. How, how is Susanna? How are the kids? I've just googled to see whether you have kids. And I see that you have a couple. Good. Why did you cut that bit out of Austin Powers? (laughs) Thank you. Yours, Chris. There you go. Let us know if he comes back. I didn't actually write an email. I was acting. That was theatre. Wow. That was amazing. That was extraordinary. (laughs) It was (laughs) the the business of show right there. Uh, (laughs) So that's my fact, that good bits were cut out of Austin Powers. Okay. Yeah, the entire, entirety of them. By the way,
1: <laughs> oh, but, you know.
0: Release the James Diary cut, which is zero minutes and zero seconds yeah. long. That,
1: no, that is a genuinely funny film. Like, I went back and checked after watching The Love Guru because it really <laughs> shook me to my core. And I was like, has anything ever been funny? Uh, like, is comedy dead? <laughs> yeah. And I went back and watched Austin Powers and Wayne's World and they are funny. So that's the good news.
3: Yeah.
0: I was looking it up today, because I was in an Austin Powers kind of mood today, and I looked up that, obviously, uh, Goldmember was the last one. I love gold! Um, And that was the last one that came out in 2002. That movie made over $200 million in the US, and they didn't make a sequel. After that, they actually just—they dropped the mic. They went out in a high. They went out with number three, and they have resisted all overtures to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the interim, it's now been how long has it been since two thousand and two? Nearly twenty years. Twenty years <coughs> next year. That's some on the fly math you did there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe they'll do a stealth sequel and it'll just drop someday, like Borat. Yeah. You know, um, oh, with yeah. Beyonce back in it. That's kind of the thing she'd do. Maybe that's you know that she could lead the charge. You know. Number three does have by far the best soundtrack. The, the soundtrack to number three is genuinely great. It's really
0: good. It's Phil really Scott good.
1: And Beyonce, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah
0: it's got Work it. it Out by, oh, by, such, by once. Such a tune. It's, it's got some good stuff on there. Uh, Spy Shagby has a really good cover by R.E.M., Dragon the Line. Uh, and it also has uh, Dr. Evil's uh, version of Just the Two of Us, which I used to that know is pretty great, off by yeah. heart. From the moment I heard Frau say I had a clone, I knew that I'd be safe because I'd never be alone. An evil doctor shouldn't speak a lot oh, about God. his feelings. My hurt and my pain don't make me too appealing. I hoped Scott would look up to me, run the business of the family, had an evil empire just like his dear old dad, give him my love and the things I never had. But Scott rejected me. Say la vie. Life goes on. Treats you unfairly. Even so. I god there must be. Mini me. You complete, you complete me. me.
1: I remembered it! That That is good. I, it, it sounded right. familiar as you said Impressive. it, but no, I could not have Impressive. reeled it off.
0: All right. Anyway, that was Anywho, my fact.
1: Anywho, yeah, that was long. Keep it
0: tight. Keep it tight, folks. Keep it tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hells Bells, what's your fact this week?
1: I was intrigued uh, about Supernova. So, I don't know if people saw, but I retweeted the um, the the trailer to Supernova, which came out in two thousand, eventually it was meant to come out in about nineteen ninety eight, and things went horribly wrong on it. And I was just kind of fascinated uh, to read more about that. So it kind of it was it was originally going to be a William Malone film called Dead Star. It was based on like H.R. Geiger sort of concept. It was going to be a kind of hellraiser in space.
0: H, but okay, fine, go ahead.
1: That was a Northern Irish joke. I'm sorry to everybody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, really good cast. You've got James Spader, Angela Bassett, Robert Forster, Lou Diamond Phillips, Peter Facinelli. Okay, it gets a little bit weaker as we <laughs> go on. Robin Tunney and Wilson Cruz. Good people. And then it all went completely to shit. So basically, they were expecting a a strike uh, as as you know as they approached filming. So they were trying to get it filmed and shot before this strike would start. So that gives them very very little time. To work on the script because it was going to be mm-hmm. the Screen Actors Guild uh, strike, so Hill rewrote the script. Uh, so Walter Hill was brought in just before mm-hmm. shooting and reworked the script, and then found out that the producer had been incredibly attached to the original script, which led to <laughs> like serious, how attached, like super blue. <laughs> serious issues. Yes, um, Digital Domain had originally been in a production partnership with MGM, so they were going to do the special effects for cheap. But between the film going into production and basically coming out the other end, that deal fell apart. So they demanded full price, logically, for Mm -hmm. the effects. And suddenly Mm -hmm. it became impossible to do everything that they wanted to do. Hill spent about, Walter Hill, having finished principal photography, having taken over, spent about 24 weeks editing the film, still didn't have any special effects on it. MGM insisted on a test screening, which was a disaster because. People were like, what the fuck's going on? Why is that man in a suit? And he's meant to be a robot. And it was a, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible disaster.
0: <laughs> um, Why is that man in the suit? Great questions from yeah. test screening audiences. Why <laughs> is that man in the suit?
1: So Hill quit the project. So a guy called Jack's uh, Shoulder was brought brought in. Whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa.
1: A yeah. guy
0: called Jack's Shoulder. You put some respect on the name of the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge and <laughs> L- *Hidden*. Hidden. How, how dare you? <laughs> respect duly sure. afforded to Mr. Shoulder. You may continue.
1: So much, so much respect. Um so he came in to do some reshoots, try and save the film. He had shoulder responsibility. Hey. <laughs> he added um he added some more development for James Spader's character to make him all heroic and give him something to do. Mm-hmm. Instead of letting the autopilot save them, for example, it's now James Spader who saves them. That got a slightly better score from test audiences. Uh, But they were still unhappy. So they went back to Hill, who wanted $5 million of more reshoots, and they were like, no. And anyway, they put it on the shelf for a bit until Mm -hmm. Francis Ford Coppola came Mm -hmm. along. Mm -hmm. And Francis Ford Coppola was put in charge of re-editing the film again at another $1 million cost, which included – and this is the bit I want to focus on. This is essentially my fact – one of the things he did was he <laughs> wanted to- We're all doing a
0: Jimbo tribute this and week. I know, impressed with this. Is this because it's the one year anniversary? <laughs>
1: Honestly, I mean, I've just been worn down.
0: <laughs> I'm going to beat this thing to submission with dancing in its grave.
1: <laughs> so one of the things he wanted to do was emphasize the emotional connection between Angela Bassett's character and James Spader's character, who are meant to have this big uh, romance in the film, but they hadn't shot a sex scene. Mm-hmm. Whereas- Robin Tunney and Peter mm-hmm. Facinelli had.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: So what a sort of zero G sex scene. So what they did was they used some of that footage mm-hmm. and tinted Robin Tunney's body to simulate oh, a sex scene God. involving Angela Bassett. Isn't that horrific? That's Anywho, not good. <laughs> really, really bad. Uh, the film was originally meant to be this kind of grotesque, scary R-rated science fiction. Well, it was basically meant to be Event Horizon kind of thing. MGM wanted to be like hip, sexy and cool. It ended up being literally none of the above <laughs> and was a famous box office disaster when it came mm. out in 2000. So, yes. there that's, you go. And frankly, it deserves it for that yeah. creative choice.
2: Yeah, I, I remember absolutely nothing about
1: that film. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, I'm pretty sure I've seen it. and yeah, I same. But I, I, I put a gun to my head and I couldn't yeah. say f- for certain I mean.
2: It is bang on brand for me, so I clearly would have watched yeah. it, but I don't remember anything no. about it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Jimbo. Well, here we go. This week's fact is a musical fact. So,
0: back in two as in, is a fact about musicals,
2: or you're? Going I'm going to sing it. Sing no, it. Yes. No. It is a fact about music. So, in 2019, I went out to Chicago. You may remember to attend Star Wars celebration. Yes, I remember. It's ingrained in my memory. I
0: I keep track of your movements. Of I have you a do. spreadsheet
2: lest we forget that was the unveiling of the first trailer for the rise of skywalker and also the announcement of the right. titles of rise of skywalker uh, it was mm-hmm. also the event where imidim walked out after we'd seen the trailer and demanded that they roll it again um <laughs> but, but but 2019 <laughs> celebration didn't just herald the start of the hype machine for the most disappointing of all star wars films no on the subject of disappointing Star Wars films. Celebration Chicago was also the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace. And there were a number of panels at the event around that particular occasion. And one such was called The Music of Episode 1. That particular panel went for a proper deep dive into John Williams' sort of triumphant score for The Phantom Menace. They talked a lot about Duel of the Fates and how the lyrics for Duel of the Fates were inspired by a Welsh poem called Battle of the Trees, although the song mm-hmm. itself is sung in Sanskrit. Now, Battle of the Trees, of course, being the 14th century work about legendary enchanter Gwy- and the druid a character oh, since immortalized yeah. in the song by bill bailey um it is a poem I mean, notable for its striking and enigmatic symbolism there you go i feel but like I he was
1: immortalized before bill bailey no came no along. Helen, okay.
2: no he was made famous by bill bailey and i shall no more about it now hmm. the panel also did a kind of song explode a breakdown of that particular song of jewel of the fates and it showed how there are notes from both the imperial march in there and the force theme turns up in jewel of the fates as well and they all contribute to the overall effect Anakin's theme as well is woven from strands of the Imperial March, most obviously in the mm-hmm. film's end credits, where you get like a few bars of it at the end, and then it kind of morphs mm-hmm. into, you know, mm-hmm. that yeah, that particular time, and it gets a bit of Vader breathing in in there as well, just in case the subtext wasn't you know obvious enough. But none of those things are my fact because this week my fact concerns Orgy's great. Municipal Band. Municipal Band. Yes, mate. the celebration song that plays as Boss Nass inexplicably holds up a large glowing magical ball and everyone has a party at the end of the film. Exactly that. Now, you will remember the general theme, which is a kind of choral melody that evokes nothing but happy, happy, joy, joy feelings. Well, my fact for you this week... That's exactly it. Okay, so... My fact for you this week is that the theme, the main theme from Orgy's Great Municipal Band, is the Emperor's theme, but played in a major key. This is absolutely true. So the sinister dirge, which first appeared in Return of the Jedi and sounds like it's sung by like dark side Gr- Gregorian monks, is a minor key, and the celebration song is the same thing, but in an upbeat major key. I shall now demonstrate for you. On so this it's like kazoo. an
1: upbeat, inspirational yeah. song so, about life. Orgy's Great
2: Municipal <laughs> Band goes like this. It goes like this. Okay. <laughs> Oh, my God. i are it already. The Emperor's theme. <laughs> 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 it's the same fucking Holy tune. shit. Wow. I know. So what? it perfectly captures the fact that The Phantom Menace is Palpatine's triumph far more than anyone else's. And basically, John Williams is a genius. John Williams is a genius, so is fucking George Lucas in that case. That is my fact.
0: Wow! Right. Okay. Uh, It's time to re-evaluate Phantom Menace (laughs) once again. It may be the best Star Wars movie.
1: Hooray! I don't think that's how that works. What? Uh, (laughs) I just, I remember that night, Chris, when the scales first fell from your eyes. I don't Don't want the throwing again. Helen,
0: I've spent the last few years carefully reapplying the scales to my eyes. (laughs) And now it is time to once again bask in my love of the Phantom Menace. No, but
2: I think it's fair because the scales fell from our eyes on the Phantom Menace, but <laughs> subsequent to that, the scales fell from our eyes on both Attack of the Clones and
0: Revenge I mean, of the Sith. So, I think the scales fell know. from my eyes on Attack of the Clones about five yeah. minutes after I gave it five stars.
1: How many times are you going to put the scales on and take them off again? Like, mean, it just doesn't seem you know, yeah. seems like a bit of a...
0: Whatever it takes. Whatever <laughs> it takes. That fact is finally... Justification for this section One year in One year in And you have Legitimately Blown my mind With the fact That I didn't know I did know the Helens fact About Supernova But that Was a legitimately Good fact That included Several great songs As well So I am I am I am all for it This is I was about to cancel this thing But I've just renewed it For another year Well done James Dyer Well done Mission accomplished
1: Oh James (laughs)
2: It's a banger. It is an undeniable banger. Ah, Mizan
0: liking it.
2: That's right. Thanks to rag top down for for oh, sliding no. that particular fact. He's oh my <laughs> He's
0: oh,
3: ruined
1: it every single time. I was at
2: Star Wars Celebration. I have to be honest. I I particular I missed that particular panel. Though he did challenge me. So he told me the the, the the core of the fact, and then I think challenged me to stretch it out over ten minutes. <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. I've
1: never challenge James to do that. <laughs> yes, he can please. do that. We please all know don't. it's please. not a challenge.
0: <laughs> don't encourage him. My God. Uh, anyway, uh, as we take. To our fourth hour of recording this section it is time to bring it to an end Uh, but yes well done James who is this week's winner of the three fact structure
1: no 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 it's already in my head that's bad enough
2: why it's called Augie's Great Municipal Band is beyond me but there you go because I imagine the band that plays it is called (laughs) Augie and
0: his band is a municipal band But now it's time to barrel straight into this week's listener question at Greg87Hadley, who takes a leaf out of the book of one of cinema's greatest journalists, Tim Messenger, of the Sandford Chronicle, uh, from Hot Fuzz. And he uh, includes a picture of him asking Nicholas Angel in that movie, actually, I just wanted to ask, what's your perfect Sunday? And so therefore, that is his question for us, for the three of us, What is your perfect Sunday? This may not be film related, but I'm trying to keep the running time of this show down a little bit um, so I don't go nuts editing it tonight. My Favourite
2: Sunday can only be got from the Cold Stone Creamery in the US, and it oh, involves no. mint oh, ice yeah. cream oh, with no. brownie mixed into it. Like, they, they get the ice cream, they slab it on the, the slab thing, and then they mix the brownie, the chewy brownie <laughs> yes. thing, into the mint ice cream, yes. and it gives you this puffing, and it has, like, chocolate sauce like streaked, streaked through it, and it is Incredible. And Ben and Jerry's came out with this thing called Empower Mint, which is not like their to Wonderland, which is nowhere near as nice. This was Empower Mint and it was very similar. Had the brownie in the middle of it and it was limited edition. And they no longer do it. And this is why I fell out with Ben and Jerry.
1: Wow. That's... Jerry was distraught, I heard. These yeah. are I mean, these are this is not okay. I've been to the Ben and Jerry factory, you know.
0: Have you? I went to yeah, Ben and Jerry's
1: headquarters. It's in uh New Hampshire, I think. Uh, I don't know. I was going around a few states at the time, but I obviously made a special side trip to go to the Ben and Jerry's factory, which was amazing. Wow! And they have special flavors there that they don't sell other places. Do they let
2: you swim in the mixture?
1: There was a sort of milk and cookies one, which was delish, and there was a, a New Hampshire kind of apple pie kind of thing, which was uh-huh. incredible. They don't let you swim in it. No, but they do have like genuinely <laughs> on the on the you outside <laughs> on the outside of the factory, they have like three giant kind of silos, which are literally just marked milk cream and sugar which i'm wow. super here for this and is my utopia. they also have a graveyard um for the dead flavors
0: oh really I was yeah. going to say, is that where they keep all the Ben and Jerry's that they've drained over the years? Because my understanding <laughs> is that they have they have Ben and Jerry plugged into the wall, a bit like Han Solo and Carbonite, and they drain them wow. of their life essence, life and force. that becomes the ice cream. Is, that's is that, what makes it taste of that's so that good. My, is my understanding? That's, that's, yeah, but I mean, yeah.
1: you know, in, in a nice way, like, you know, the f- friendly kind of way, you know.
0: The Empire Podcast would like it to be known that we did not believe that Ben and Jerry drain the life essence of Ben and Jerry and use it to make ice cream. Am I right in saying that Ben and Jerry's are the ice cream that don't have
2: the calorie count on the tub?
1: No, you definitely don't n- want to know the calories. I presume because
2: numbers don't go up that high. But I, milk, uh, cream <laughs> milk,
1: cream, and sugar. Milk, cream, and sugar. Well, I okay? always remember.
2: Like, I used to look on the Häagen-Dazs one. I but I seem to recall looking at Ben and Jerry's. Maybe I just couldn't find it. But I just assume that they just, for the sake of your sanity, they just didn't tell you because you don't want to know.
0: <laughs> your brain was telling you it was was overlooking the calories and it was just it, it was a little it. blind spot. I can't spot. see
1: it can not register a number that high. Do you remember, it's like when we used to go to the US to, to cover Comic-Con and our, our ritual oh, very jelly. first oh, day, no, very first day, no, this is different. Very first day we'd go to IHOP and get breakfast. And, <gasps> IHOP. And the problem is that IHOP does have uh, calorie counts in the menu and <laughs> yeah. every single calorie count for pretty much everything yeah. is your entire recommended daily <sighs> oh, input. so
2: good though. Or more. I love an I love an IHOP. Yeah.
1: anyway that isn't a Sunday question and I think you're willfully misunderstanding the way that they spell Sunday in that question I, I think okay. he is it's a podcast and for there
0: are no spellings here. for comedic <laughs> effect and listen if this oh. if this brings this bad boy home with the British podcast awards jury then I'm all for it <laughs> by all means um, I think they've long since switched off and discussed and gone mm. for something much more worthy uh, by this point uh, sure or something hosted by a, a Peter Crouch or something like that <laughs> um, but I will say and this may not be pertaining to the question, you have made me think of the time I went to Atlanta and uh, I was on set of Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues, and I had a I had a day off, I had a morning off, and so I decided to do a bit of a lifelong ambition, not travel to nearby Athens, the home of REM. One day I will be able to do that once this fucking pandemic is, is over and done with. And um, go to Weaver D's, the barbecue place that made the phrase automatic for the people famous. But instead, I went to the world of Coca-Cola, because Atlanta is the home of Coca-Cola, uh, a substance to which I have been helplessly addicted now for <laughs> for a long, 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 long time. And I went to that and I went to, you know, their little factory, a little tour and everything. And it was really, really cool. And did you know that their tour is voiced by none other than Donald Sutherland?
1: Hmm. So I there did not. Go.
0: There you go. Bringing it back to film.
1: But yeah, we we did also used to go to Deli's in San Diego oh, and get uh, Sundays there. That was so part much. of our...
0: Sundays uh, at Comic-Con, Comic-Con were Con. always great, though, wasn't
2: it? Because Sunday was the day when nothing had happened. Like, everything kind of kicked off. How are we spending Wednesday Sunday Thursday here? Thursday Sorry, I'm bad <laughs> <laughs> We need to be consistent with what we're doing yeah. here. <laughs> 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 yeah. We had Sundays on a Sunday. But on Saturday night, like... Saturday no, it's would Sundays be busy. on Saturday. Yeah, we did have Sundays on a Saturday, yeah, that's very Sunday, true. Yeah, We had Sundays yeah. on a Saturday, but the actual Sunday was the day that we got to walk the floor, wasn't it? That was a day where we yes. got to just wander Comic-Con because we, broadly speaking, done all of the video blog episodes, or most of them, the big <laughs> panels were over, and it was we just could wander around doing things. And I know Sunday was largely a TV day, but that was before the years of the soon-to-be award-winning Pilot TV podcast. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we Can didn't need to cover those as
0: much then. If you are listening to the uh, – if you are a – judge from the British Podcast Awards and you're listening to this, please, please, I beg you, for the love of God, do not give an award to the Pilot TV Podcast. It's bad enough that they managed to fluke an award last year. In in a category we did not enter, I again must stress that, I cannot stress that enough. But if they were to win something this year, there honestly, there would be no living with them. He, so he will please, be insufferable. Yeah. Please yeah. don't do it. I would. It. I would. I would
2: prop the award on my desk so that you could see it for the duration of every record we do during <laughs> 2021 and 2022. <laughs> mm. It would just become a fixture here. Yeah. <sighs> It'll be amazing.
0: Yeah. You probably start charging a fee as well to appear on this show and so. You know, as and, talent, and so, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, and you know, sorry. Sorry, James isn't available. I have to go through an agent or something <laughs> like that. And oh god, it'd be it'd be just. I mean, as insufferable as you are now, you would be like the Galactus of insufferability. Mm. If, oh, don't if that t- happened. That
1: will only encourage him. Yeah. Don't tell him. Every one of my
2: facts this. will just be part of my award-winning entry to the BPAs. <laughs> oh, just a
0: description of the award. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what it's made of?
2: <laughs> the last award I got for Pilot had glitter in it. <laughs> glitter, I tell you.
0: <laughs> uh, anyway, what were you talking about? G.R.I. Daly's so good. And yeah. Walking around oh, yeah, Sunday, yeah, Comic-Con. Oh, oh, God, I, I love miss Comic-Con. It's been years since we've been to Comic-Con. It's been a while since they've had a Comic-Con. But yeah, it's been a while yeah, since we've been. If anyone wants to pay for us to go to Comic Con whenever it happens again, if it ever happens again, and this is the thing, it may never happen again.
1: But yes, rich people, if you're listening, please yeah. pay for us to go to Comic Con. Mm. That would be super good.
0: The
2: dream. My, my favorite memory of Comic Con will always be when you frantically called Nick to cover the Solomon Kane panel and he said, <laughs> I can't, I've just ordered a cocktail. He was by the pool in his trunks <laughs> and had maybe missed the point of what we were there for.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. Anyway, what's your perfect Sunday? And doesn't okay, films.
1: so two different answers, obviously, because okay. you know the way the question was meant to be spelled and the way James has spelled it. Hmm. So Perfect Sunday is pretty, you know, first of all, it involves going outside and seeing people because I'm super ready for that now. That would be super I don't know what that good. is. Um, there, there'd, be a, there'd be some kind of run in the morning so I can feel virtuous about everything the rest of the day when I yeah. eat a gigantic sundae with an E. And, um, and then I'd see people and they'd probably go to the cinema Remember those things? Oh my god. Do you I do remember those. cinemas? cinema? Oh, yes,
2: that's yeah. when you used to pay money and oh. and money and watch films with with people. Oh my
1: god. And then I'd probably eat in a restaurant and not even think about it. <sighs> with maybe the same people or maybe different people because I wouldn't be in a bubble. I'd just have people that I'd oh. be, you know, seeing. There might be a walk in the sun, but it wouldn't be because that's my only reason for leaving the house. It would just be because I like walking in the sun. <laughs>
0: It's only a source of vitamin C or D or whatever the hell it is. Pretty sure it's D. D is it's it D? D. Yeah. yeah okay. It's D. What's C? Orange.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay.
0: Orange. Yes. So I get all my vitamins from Ben and Jerry's.
1: So <laughs> oh, the best vitamins. Um, uh, in terms of Sunday, uh, I have you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an ice cream connoisseur, having grown up in Port Stewart, Northern Ireland, where there are more ice cream shops than any other kind of shop. I'm not even kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, while I grew up on Morelli's, which have excellent sort of classic Sundays, you know, the Knickerbocker Glory and the and the Gondola was a, was an amazing one when I was going up, growing up. I have now graduated and, and will try anything. There is a Florentine Sunday that they do in Fortnum and Mason, if you're feeling extremely fancy, that I can recommend. But really the best thing to do is go to Vivoli's in Florence. Now, Festival de Gelato has its defenders, but for me, I'm a Vivoli's girl. I will go all the way over to Santa (sighs) Maria and get it. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. I think the first time I went, I got like five scoops to try. And then I went back the next day and got three more scoops to try. So it's bellissima. But they have like pear and caramel and all sorts of like crazy delicious shit. It's amazing.
0: I I miss everything. I miss the outside. I miss I miss the people. I even miss Jimbo. I looked the other day at well, no, go, a karaoke.
1: Crazy.
0: I, I oh when this is over we we need a karaoke. Oh, karaoke it's been a yes. very, very long time, it's been hasn't
1: such it? Such a long time. Yeah. It's been a long, long time, actually. Yeah. Like an endgame. Yeah. One of the many songs we could <laughs> sing oh. at karaoke. <laughs> I oh. don't
0: think they won't have that, will no, they? Yeah, they
1: totally don't. They totally won't have
0: that. Oh, it's a shame. It is
2: a shame. If
1: Lucky Voice, if you're listening, this is your challenge.
2: Yeah. I don't remember the last time we was I was Bondioki the last official karaoke we did no we karaoke oh, no, yeah, since Terry since, since Terry started oh, yes, with karaoke right.
0: we, we didn't lucky voice with Terry though we went somewhere else yeah, yeah. no we didn't lucky voice but we we have karaoke since then I just can't remember exactly when no but record. it has to be done it has to be done but anyway Jimbo what is your what is your perfect Sunday and does it involve? with evolve? a Y yes my perfect Sunday with a why. I mean, let's
2: be honest. It's going to be me, without a doubt, on the sofa, almost certainly watching some <laughs> shit for pilot. Like that's my whole life. So. This is
1: ideal <laughs> Sunday, is okay. I mean,
2: I'm just being realistic, Helen. Like this okay. is as ideal as things get. Um, at the moment, I mean, I like I have not been to the cinema since fucking July, and it is insane. This is, mm. I think, the longest I've ever gone without going to the cinema, and I include the months between my birth and being able to walk. You've seen it's, films. it's it's insane. I Tenet was the last thing I saw in the cinema. You didn't see Wonder Woman 1984. You're right, I did, but I've blocked that out of my memory <laughs> on account of it being such a fucking traumatic experience. Yes, you're right. I watched that abomination as well. The last proper film TM I saw was Tenet, but yes, I also witnessed
0: Wonder Woman 1984 <laughs> All right, yeah. But your perfect Sunday would that involve would you watch movies? Would you would you, you know, walk around just playing games in your pants.
2: I know what it used to be. Like if I go back to, I mean, we are going back like about 20 years. I remember I used to like Gino, this and I'm combining both Sundays and Sundays. I used to like, uh, Gino, Gino Ginelli's Toffee Fudge Ice Cream. Gino Ginelli
1: Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I
2: mean, it's
1: not I quite used eat that, but it's that. While right. watching
2: episodes of The West Wing. This is absolutely oh. true. And I used to sit there and I used to watch the new episode of The West Wing while eating, and I'm not going to lie, an entire fucking tub of Gino Ginelli's Toffee Fudge Ice Cream. Gino uh,
0: Ginelli <laughs> Ice Cream Italia.
2: That one. And that works
0: on both Sunday levels. <laughs>
1: that's fair. That's fair. It
0: really does. And me, I, I, I. whoa oh! Perfect Sunday. Perfect Sunday. Uh, let's let's leave the the physical act of, of love out of it, shall we? Yes, um, that's probably uh, best. That's, that's probably for the best. Uh, what would I do with the other twenty three hours and fifty nine minutes? Hey, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> Depressingly so. Uh, anywho. I, I don't know. Yeah, I love. I love, Sunday's a big football day for me, so I tend to watch football a lot on Sun on Sundays. I start at twelve and I don't finish until there's, there's no more football to be watched. And we'll probably throw in a couple of episodes of MasterChef as well. And occasionally, I might see a film. Uh, perhaps 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 we'll go and meet Helen, no, and we will see a film cinema. together at local oh. cinema when it eventually reopens and shows all sorts of lovely stuff. <sighs> oh, what a time to be alive! Uh, but yes, it big old be. roast, lovely roast chicken pork are you just beef,
1: gonna name meats now <laughs> lamb
0: more chicken oh venison, or no? venison we're done
1: okay
0: burger ostrich so good ostrich allig- alligator i've eaten alligator mm. that was instead of um dukes of hazard what the craft services had alligator no okay it's when I was visiting the set of the Dukes of Hazard, and then we went out to a restaurant, and there was alligator on the menu, and I thought that sounds and nice. Are you gonna I've do never it? eaten yeah. alligator before. I'm gonna have some alligator. So I said to the the waiter, I said, "Alligator, make it snappy." <laughs> no. And then he brought some alligator, and it was a big old pile of. Basically, they would taken loads of alligator, and they. This is the this is the the section that's going to really, really please vegetarians. Um, But you know, I thought eating an alligator, it feels like sort of karma, right? It feels like eating something that might one day eat you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm on top of the food chain here, and it was basically like popcorn chicken, but with alligator, and it was really, really lovely until about seven bites in, and then it just became samey and chewy and wasn't wasn't great. But you know, I've eaten alligator, so yeah, didn't actually, (laughs) but. You know, taste of the alligator, but there you go. That's my perfect Sunday: big old roast, football, film with Helen in the centre of town in our local cinema, chatting with people. What a great day! Oh, and then sleep, oh, sleep, and then let's be honest, editing a podcast. That's usually that's yeah, well, that's Sundays as well. But there, but there you go. That is that is how that is what our perfect Sundays would be. And right now, uh, the British Podcast Awards judges are going really. Really, you're just gonna to do it like a 20 minute segment and not even mention films once?
4: <laughs> we mentioned That's films how we at
0: roll. least twice. Yeah. Do you have a category for this best film podcast? It goes 15 minutes without mentioning films, like even fucking once. <laughs> and the gold award this year goes to the Empire Film Podcast. Anywho, Let's see. anywho, it is time now for this week's first guest, and um, <laughs> who should we have? Eddie Izzard or Kate Winslet? Who do you who do you fancy? Kate Winslet. 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 All right. Let's have have Kate Winslet then, because you know her. You you all know her. You know how she earns a living. Uh, She (laughs) is a phenomenal actor. She is an Oscar-winning star of The Reader. That's the movie she won an Oscar for. But she's been in all sorts of stuff over the years. Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures. Titanic, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, She's going to be an Avatar 2, of course, coming up very, very soon. She's just a wonderful, wonderful actor. Such range, such range as Kate Winslet. And uh, she is the star of this week's Ammonite, which marks the return to cinemas of Frances Lee, who broke out, of course, with the glorious God's own country a couple of years ago, and this is a a love story between Kate Winslet's character and Sarah Sharon and Sarah Sharon and Sarah Sharon's character as well. And I think a beauty it is too. So we sent along our ammonite expert and ammonite correspondent, our fearless leader Terry White, to interview Kate Winslet over Zoom, and a good time was had by them both. And I hope a good time will be had by you as well. Do please enjoy.
4: It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Kate Winslet to the Empire Podcast. Hello, Kate.
5: Hello, Terry.
4: How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing very well.
5: I'm very pleased to see you've got your eyeliner on. Last time we spoke, that you, you you'd reach for a black sharpie instead. I hope that's not outing you to the world, but
4: I had, um, yeah, I did use a, a sharpie. I still have eyesight in both eyes, which I think is a is a win. Um, which is important, yeah. Which is important. <laughs> Yeah. If you're a film journalist, the ability to use your eyes, um, I think is key. <laughs> now, let's talk about the extraordinary ammonites. Now, you're not necessarily a stranger to period, but what was different about Mary Anning for you?
5: I've never played a, a working class period character in any film that I've ever been a part of. You know, so often I've played the the, the period women who are in the corsets and really pulled together and whose only motivation is truly to take some nice walks and maybe do a bit of poetry, but whose objective in life is absolutely to be wooed by a man and to be married off and financially taken care of. And so, the admiration I felt for Mary Anning, given that she was none of those things. She did not have that male person in her life, but more importantly, she was dealt such a rough hand, particularly by men, because she lived in a patriarchal society. And the world of geology was dominated by men, and they took took her finds and reappropriated them for their own. They actually bought them from her and claimed that they were theirs. And to me that's not right. No. So <laughs> um so to step into her skin and to 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 try my best to, to become who i believed she was um with all of her her formidable skills and um remarkable determination in the face of such harsh sometimes judgment
4: i mean it is kind of extraordinary that you've never played a working class woman in period, which probably speaks to the fact that that there aren't necessarily loads of those characters. But also, mm. you do come from a working class background.
5: Do you think people yeah. sometimes almost forget because you speak beautifully and? Well, yeah, exactly. I think I think it's not so much as forget as perhaps don't even, don't don't really know, you know. And I and I definitely think because because I have played these kind of beautifully pulled together composed women in period films who have spoken very well. Certainly in my early twenties, you know, I, I there's a there's a I don't know there's a kind of like a an assumed pedigree that comes with playing roles of that nature. And so that's why for me in my life, when I was 25, 26 years old, and I was asked to play Clementine Krasinski in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I was like, ah, oh, yes, yeah. because I I knew that then I was able to step away from perhaps some assumptions that might have been being made about me and who I was and where I came from. And I'm deeply proud of where I come from. You know, I, I did absolutely come from a working class background, um, uh, I come from a, a pack of, you know, impoverished, out of work actors who spent more time, you know, digging roads and laying tarmac and, um, you know, being postmen than they, than they were actually <laughs> actually acting, and they certainly never made a living from it. So, so I'm definitely, um, I, I'm 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 a very sort of unlikely success uh, story and. Um, and so, so, yeah, it was it was wonderful to, to, to play someone like Mary, who did feel much closer to my own upbringing than, uh, than some of the other period roles I've ever played, yeah.
4: And how important do you think it is to show alternate working-class stories on screen? I think it might be fair to say we're fed quite a stereotypical diet much of the time in terms of what working-class stories look like. But I feel like Francis and you were doing something quite different in terms of class.
5: I think Francis really was doing something different in terms of class you know because because he wanted to he absolutely wanted to show the you know the profound brilliance and mind of a woman who who who, who may never have had well she never had recognition and and it's only really in recent historical terms that she has received that recognition but Mary was just because she was a woman people questioned her mind they questioned her scientific discoveries they even tried to say that they were a hoax or that she was a freak or i mean this she was subjected to such extraordinary scrutiny just because she was a working class woman and it was very important for francis to sing her praises and to celebrate her um And I certainly enjoyed being a part of that with him, you know, it really felt good to give her that power and to give her that um, and to give her that that place whereby we can hopefully celebrate what she achieved.
4: And and what about sexuality as well? Because I think as, as well as working class alternate narratives sexuality is another area um and mary has a relationship with a woman played by saoirse ronan mm-hmm. and this relationship i think vitally isn't
5: about shame it's about love exactly and i think you've just really hit nail on the head there terry you know one of the things i appreciated so much about our narrative is that it is it it it, it, it is completely devoid of hesitation or fear. You know, there's no secrecy around a relationship between Mary and Charlotte. There's nothing socially forbidden about it within our narrative. And often I think with with, with same-sex love stories of a period nature, the fact that they may have been perceived as wrong immediately becomes a part of the narrative. And I love that we, we just normalize this love story, this connection between these two women. By by keeping all of those other elements well away. It's just a story about two people who fall in love. The fact that they are women is never addressed or mentioned in any way, or explained, or justified. And the latter there is the most important part of all of it, you know? And it's interesting, isn't it? Because there is nothing, there is no historical documentation about Mary Anning's love life, her personal world, none whatsoever. But you can bet your life that if Frances Lee had chosen to pair her with a man, no one would have said anything
4: well it happens all the time right people who we have limited biographical information on we assume a heterosexual relationship and why do you think people respond to that almost as a negative giving her a
5: same sex relationship i don't know but it definitely makes me feel quite sad i don't i really don't understand that i don't understand at all what difference does it make i mean literally what difference does it make <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I just, I find it really baffling, you know, and I, I'm just, I'm such a believer that LGBTQ films have their rightful place in the mainstream. And I really hope that by making Ammonite, we've able to make a help, been able to make a helpful contribution to the evolution and progression of that conversation. Um, You know, and if we had more LGBTQ films in the mainstream, we wouldn't feel so automatically compelled to compare the few that do exist. I don't know why so few exist. It's very Mm. odd to me.
4: Well, also we probably wouldn't focus quite so much on the sex. That's the other weird thing I find often happens with same sex stories. People
5: become Mm. quite fascinated with the sex element over the love. Element. Well, that's right. They come fixated with the effects of sex element over the love element. You are absolutely right, and I really appreciate you saying that because it gives me an opportunity to say that there are even different words used to describe same-sex love uh, uh, intimate scenes on film than there are the vocab. There is the vocabulary that is used to describe heterosexual love stories. It's literally a different different word map that is used to describe those those scenes and and to me that 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 doesn't seem right at all you know and i think that we can all play our part in using our descriptions much more mindfully you know i've been completely staggered when people describe the love the love scenes between two women on film but also with ammonite as you know erotic controversial you know why Mm. why why can't they be powerful connected you know grounded intimate visceral you know deep why can't we use those words it's utterly weird that he's got a strange sort of dated almost porny type words are used that's not right
4: mm. and and really i, I think I mean, it's a bit of a continuation of what francis started with god's own country can you talk about how how I know you loved God's own country, right? When you first saw it.
5: Loved it, yeah. Loved it. I absolutely loved God's own country. And I think it's I think again it's it's for the same reasons that I really loved Ammonite when I first read the script, is is, you know, there is there was no degree of sort of explanation or apology made for the fact that this is a love story, that God's Own Country is a love story between two men. It just is a story about two people, two two opposites who connect in the way that they do and find their way towards each other and in being together. Um, in the same complex ways that any people who fall in love can sometimes experience. And without adding that element of shame, you know, it's 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 really admirable, you know, I think as a filmmaker for Francis to have met, been able to make those choices. And I admire him enormously for mm-hmm. it, I really do. I feel very proud to have been a part of telling one of his stories.
4: And graft is another big thing and you grafted for this film, right?
5: <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, Yes. It was, it was definitely tough, you know. Um, I mean, I've done things that have been very physically demanding in the past, but, you know, but Mary in particular, it was physically challenging because I had to sort of, I had to inhabit her and kind of keep her in my body in many ways. And her physical energy and posture is so different to mine that I almost had to kind of quiet my whole nervous system down in order to try and be her and 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 to sort of capture that very held, um, quite isolated demeanour um, that she really does carry around with her at all times, and her sparse movements, you know, and how she uses. Her, she uses um, her eyes so often to convey what she's feeling you know sometimes I felt like I had to learn how to act with the back of my head or uh, the backs of my hands you know it's quite strange challenges as an actor and certainly not things that I've necessarily had to do before at all and I definitely had to defer to Frances a lot when I would say oh god can I you know in this silence can I just um and maybe she would just sigh or or perhaps she would just you know just move her hand across her forehead. He would say, no, no, just trust the stillness, Kate. You have to earn every movement. And that did not come naturally to me at all. So thank God he was there. (laughs) Otherwise, Mary would have been a lot more animated than perhaps she's ended up being in the film.
4: (laughs) And you did, um, you lived alone for part of the shoot, right? Because she was an isolated woman. Did you feel that was necessary? Wasn't necessarily something you'd done before?
5: Well, I have a family, and you know, I'm a mum, and um, you know that's obviously my entire. Well, you know, I'm I'm just like the rest of us. I fall asleep at night making shopping lists and trying to work out if all the PE kit is washed and ready by the front door. You know, I know that's hard for people to believe, but that is how we choose to live. And um, and thank God that we do. So it was quite strange. In fact, I found last night, it's funny you should ask me these questions. I found last night a a, a lovely card that my husband wrote for me when we wrapped Ammonite, just talking about how wonderful it was that I was back. And he actually said it was rubbish in the week when you weren't here and we all missed you terribly. And so it was a big deal for us as a family to, to be okay with making that decision. But I just couldn't have played Mary, I think, any other way. If I'd come home to the, you know, dog jumping up at me and everyone wanting dinner and the chaos of, you know, just our our life, our, our world, you know, I think I would have felt as though, what I was trying to do with Mary had been infiltrated by a bunch of pirates, you know? And, uh, and I, and so I had to, uh, yeah, we, we had to make that decision and, and it was okay. You know, I, I lived alone from Sunday till a Friday and it was a nine week shoot. And towards the end, actually my husband and, um, our little one um they were able to come for a couple of nights mid mid midweek and you know that was kind of how we did it but I'm very lucky that my husband is at home he's in the home keeping you know the home fires burning and um I we wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise there's no way if he had a full-time job there's no way we would have done it that way
4: Mm. Uh, and all the results are on screen all the results on screen, well, thank you
5: so thank much you. for talking to me today, Kate. Winslet. Thanks, Terry. Thank you very much.
0: Okay, so that was Kate Winslet, and we will be discussing Ammonite later in the show. And we're also going to be doing a spoiler special for Ammonite. So if you fancy subscribing to our spoiler special channel, if you don't already, there's so much goodness on there. There's so much goodness on there, folks. So much goodness. I I can't even remember how much goodness there is on there. There's our (laughs) weekly Falcon and the Winter Soldier episodes. There's Coming to America with the director Craig Brewer. There's. Greenland with the director Rick Roman Wall. There's I Care a Lot with the director Jay Blakeson. There's Kong versus Godzilla, or is it Godzilla versus Kong? I'm sure I got it right when I did the interview with director Adam (laughs) Wingard. There's loads and loads of great stuff. There's Jack Schaefer, the showrunner of WandaVision, talking about that in an exclusive interview as well. And our full archive of stuff. How have I started plugging the Spoiler Special Channel when I'm simply meant to be going? That was Kate Winslet. Here's some movie news. So I'm going to do that now, because plugging stuff is unseemly. Go to my pinned tweet for details of how to subscribe. (laughs) What's been happening in the world of movie news this week, folks? Well, I don't want to steal news from the
2: absolutely guaranteed bang on (laughs) award-winning Pilot TV podcast, but there have been three new Game of Thrones spin-offs announced this week. Why are we talking about
1: that on this show? Which... I don't I'm care. pretty excited I don't about. about. Okay, this is all right. Let's which go. Which I'm with pretty this.
2: excited about. So, as as you all know, we've already got House of the Dragon, which is uh, got oh. Paddy Constantine riding a dragon, which oh, is Paddy's pretty exciting. Oh, Paddy's in it. Paddy's on board. dragon on Love it. Uh, and the Duncan Egg ones, based on the Sir Duncan the Tall and Egg and Targaryen stories. I'm sorry. Stories I'm, are sorry. In I'm sorry. What? Dunk and Egg. Is that his version of Ant and Dec? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Dunk or Egg? Uh, yes, it's uh, <laughs> Sir Duncan the Tall and his squire Egg, who is in fact Aegon the Fifth Targaryen. So. That's good. Uh, but anyway, but that's not what that's not what was been was been announced. None of those things are your news. None of those things are my news. So uh three possible ones. One is set in Flea Bottom, which is the sort of the slums of King's Landing. So it's like a Ken Loach Game of Thrones spin-off, I like mean, working class drama be, in the slums okay. of King's Landing. So mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that's been announced.
0: Is that I Daenerys Blake? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I, yes. as soon as they announced that prices of sackcloth went through the <laughs> roof let me tell you if you hold sackcloth futures right now you are in for a windfall yeah.
2: expect a lot of cabbage in that one i imagine are you proud of me for doing a game of thrones reference that was oh, good that was, that was, that was really good
0: that was good for a man who's never watched the show that's impressive stuff tell me more about these shows i will never watch <laughs>
2: Well, 10,000 ships is another one, which is uh, based on Nymeria, not the wolf, but actually who the wolf is named after, mm. who is the Dornish princess who helped found Dawn, And that's kind of, she's uh, she's in command of a flotilla of ships fleeing old Valyria. So it feels a bit like Battlestar Galactica, like, but with actual Ooh, ships being pursued and harried by dragons and, you know, bad Any people. of them
0: lodged in the Suez Canal? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes they are in fact shooting there now oh,
3: so um,
2: and the last one also nautical is nine voyages which uh if you know about house of the dragon steve Toussaint is playing lord corliss the sea snake valerian and uh, he's going to be i assume he's reprising that role because the character's in this and he's the star of this nine voyages thing and he was the greatest seafarer in the history of the seven kingdoms i mean so that's uh that's pretty what good about
1: stuff. like all the people from the Iron Isles, and they yeah. aren't they supposed to be quite good at sea stuff. I mean, stuff? quite
2: good. But this guy's literally called the Sea Snake, so
1: I—I'll be honest. I will—I will cop to some qualms about some of these shows. I would suggest possibly that they will not necessarily replicate the success of Game or of happen, Thrones.
0: Helen, yeah. or happen,
1: and that not all of them might happen.
0: 20 shows together might make the impact of one show, is what they're Mm, hoping.
1: But the the problem with that is 20 shows tend to cost 20 times as much. So you have a potential Mm. problem of payoff there. But you Mm. know what? I mean, if they're just like, if they keep the price of sackcloth down, they'll be fine. So it should be okay. Mm. (laughs) I I just, it's the same, you know, it's the same thing with the Star Wars stories spinoffs. The problem is, the MCU has a continuing narrative, which is a continuing reason to watch. The problem with this kind of approach where you throw everything at the board is you don't have a joined up end point that you're trying to get to. Mm. An end game, if you will. Oh. And um, and therefore, there is a risk that people will just go, I mean, I don't care after episode <laughs> one and just kind of, you know, tune out. I mean- so
2: even i'm I, not gagging to see flea bottom the drama i got to be honest right? with you i mean
1: and i'm not saying like they may be amazing and i and i hope they are because that would be great we you know we want you know more great stuff but yeah. i i just i don't know if westeros is maybe the only fantasy story there's ever been that's worth exploring more mm-hmm. i'm just saying that there could be i don't know some other fantasy books out there that could be the new game of thrones um uh, on, in their own right. So, Call me
0: uh, HBO. I have suggestions. Yeah, they've uh, they've added some casting to the Jack Reacher TV show this week.
1: Do any of them eat yogurt?
0: I wish. I wish <laughs> that
2: they ate yogurt. The first. The first look at him will be him standing in the doorway of boots. Guaranteed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and what size will his hands be?
0: Yeah, if he's the right size to play Reacher. And I believe he's I believe he's actually he's a couple of inches yeah. under. Yeah, but uh, it'll just be his legs and people looking up awestruck at Reacher. Uh, so in case you don't know, there's a Jack Reacher TV show that's on its way. It's on Amazon. And uh, the idea is that they're going to adapt a book per season. Mm. Which is uh, ambitious, of course, given that there are 475,000 Jack Reacher (laughs) novels to get through. Only kidding, there's 25. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. The first one's called The Killing Floor. And uh, I've always been a little worried, not always, because it's only just happened, but I've been a little worried about how they would approach Reacher on the small screen. And um, when I saw that other people had been cast as series regulars, my heart sank. Because I thought, oh no, they're giving Reacher a bunch of sidekicks, but they're not. They are not. They are just casting people from the book, which makes sense. So there you go. So Reacher will still be a loner doing his thing, walking around. Being With a just his passport and a toothbrush.
1: Oh my god! Folding, toothbrush, folding,
0: toothbrush, Helen, a toothbrush. folding yeah. toothbrush. I
1: mean, I like. Yeah. I felt like people would figure that
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At what point does he figure that out? As, know, just know. this toothbrush just jamming into his thigh. Uh, so Malcolm Goodwin, who was in Ice Zombie*, Willa Fitzgerald, who was in the *Scream* TV show, and Chris Webster, who was in a thing called *Most Dangerous Game*, that I've just I'm just read the press release here. Uh, they are going to be in. Reacher, which is simply what it's called. It's going to be called Reacher. Uh, and that is good because it means they do know Jack. Good one will be Chief Detective Oscar Finley, who is a cop who maybe teams up with Reacher. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, Fitzgerald stars as Roscoe Conklin, who is another cop who maybe teams up with Reacher, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, Webster stars as K. KJ? Can't even speak at it. <laughs> Webster stars as KJ, who is the spoiled son of a local businessman who may be up to no good and maybe <gasps> needs some reaching, if you know what I mean.
1: Wait, this mm. is different this is a different if you know what I mean. Because right? the yeah. first one was sex and this one is violence, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. just checking. Yeah. I just getting it straight in my two
0: head. very different ways of delivery there.
1: Right. Yeah. There's
0: if you know what I mean, and then if you know what I mean, Oh, oh no, okay. actually now I hear I it back they're pretty much the same.
2: <laughs> Alan Richson, who is actually my height rather than Jack Reger's height, he was <laughs> you and this is true, Raphael in the twenty fourteen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's quite the step up.
1: Yeah, it's about a by the foot for a sorrow.
2: <laughs> uh, he was also Aquaman in Smallville.
0: Was he? He played Arthur oh, yeah. Curry in Smallville. Okay.
3: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There
0: you go. Okay. So you've gone from pizza to Curry. No. Hey. Please give us an award. <laughs> we've been doing this We've been doing this ever such a long time. We put a, we put a lot into it. I, I take ages editing these things. <laughs> Sometimes we even think about what we're going to say on them.
1: I mean, not very often, though.
0: Quick, Helen, say something worthy.
1: Something worthy? Oh, that's gee, not you what mean- I meant. Jesus <laughs> Christ, Helen. Oh. Uh, uh, God.
0: Helen, I was thinking the other day. Yeah. People suffering. Uh, it's just not on, is it?
1: You know what? I'm going to go further. I'm going to say it's bad. It's really mm, bad. I yeah. think people shouldn't suffer.
0: So. People shouldn't suffer. People shouldn't suffer. <laughs> James, what do you think about this? I oh, know he probably he agrees with it. I no, oh, don't! It. Oh don't no! Ask for him. You. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh, we were so close to being awards worthy just for a second. The music was beginning to rise, and then I realised <laughs> it was Augie's great municipal band, and we were fucked. <laughs> 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 and destined never to win an award. Please, me's a liking it. Uh what else has happened in the world of movie news, folks? There's another um, Ace Ventura film coming. Yes! I it- am so f- fucking pumped.
1: Are you?
2: I am so excited. It's been 26 years.
1: Well, I mean, it's not like any, you know, belated comedy sequel has ever been bad. So I guess name I can see why would <laughs> be excited.
0: Name one um, bad belated comedy sequel.
1: Um, Zoolander 2.
0: Name two. Name two... Coming to America. Name three bad, <laughs> belated comedy sequels. Anchorman do say you. not say... Do not fucking say anchor I will fight you.
1: I, I didn't like the that shark. to that screen. There you go.
0: If you know what I mean. Oh, God. Oh God. Oh God. That was a violent one. I that didn't was mean it to be the sex one. one. right? Oh, no. oh, yes, it was violent i was. It was the violent, if you know what I mean. Not the sex. Oh, God. Oh, God. It's like a David Cronenberg film, um, <laughs> where sex and violence have become conflated. Yes, Ace Ventura 3. Jimbo, tell us all about it.
2: I mean, Pat Casey and Josh Miller are back writing. I assume Jim Carrey's going to be back, though he hasn't been confirmed. That'd be strange to call it Ace Ventura 3 if he's, you know, not. Maybe it's going to be like a son of the mask. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. Ace Ventura Jr. no. 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 You know, if it doesn't include Jim Carrey. Climbing out of the rectum of a rhinoceros and. Frankly, I don't want to
1: know. <laughs> oh no! We don't need that. We saw that awful Sasha Baron Cohen Mark Strong film already. Okay, just. Whoa, whoa, no.
0: whoa! Again, it I was. must quibble with the use of the word "awful." Uh, mm. um, oh, I, will use, I will settle hateful? for risible. <laughs> <Visible Fort-esque. laughs> um, <sighs> yes, Simon Pegg picked that moment from Ace Ventura when Nature Calls as his classic scene in the in the hallowed pages of Empire magazine. Mm. Jim Carrey. <sighs> climbing naked out of the butt of an animatronic rhinoceros. Uh, that <laughs> comedy does not get any better than that.
2: Do you know there's already been an Ace Ventura 3?
0: Did you know this? Is it a prequel or
2: something? Ace Ventura Pet Detective Junior is actually a film. It was a 2009 film, oh, which no. I clearly haven't seen and never
0: will. Yeah. But no, I didn't know there was a 3. Is that the one you're referring to?
2: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that was the third film. <laughs> And now there's another, there's another third one coming. So this is three B or four, depending on how you decide to, uh, to, to oh number it. Oh
0: my god. I love that like you introduced something and then immediately forgot what it was so when I asked you about it you went hmm? what?
3: What? <laughs> what
0: what are you talking about oh Sorry. there's another film coming Chris tell us about it
1: <laughs> yes. thank a, god we're keeping the news section short this week though. so it's going great. in and the cycle
2: of Ace Ventura announcements <laughs> guys, guys we've been doing this for a year now this I this know. remote madness I think I we're know. due to have a yeah. breakdown I
0: think this, this is the episode that we finally broke this <laughs> is yeah. it Yeah. Yeah. this Fair is it enough. and this is the one we needed to get it over the line because people are listening to it if you know what I mean and I don't mm. mean that in the sex or finally. Oh, God. Oh, Anyways, God. Helen, tell us about Ace Ventura 3.
1: No, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> well, I thought you were talking about that. No, one. I refuse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's talk about something that we all know about, which is that the Disney slate has been moved. It's been mm. bumped. There's been lots of bumps and moves and things being jostled around uh, to the Disney slate. And... Something that I thought would never happen is happening, which is a Black Widow, is going to be on Disney+. Plus. With caveats, it has to be Mm. said, it was meant to come out on May 7th, as we got closer and closer to May 7th. And the fact that cinemas weren't going to be open in this country on May 7th, it felt increasingly unlikely that that would be the case. And lo and behold, it has moved and it is moving to
1: July 9th.
0: July 9th. Thank you, Helen. July 9th. and it's also going to be available on Disney Plus as one of those premium jobbies, so you can pay an extra—was it twenty quid? And um, yeah, or you'll be able to go see it in cinemas, which hopefully will be open in this country by then, and with vaccinations in full swing, ish. Uh, then hopefully we'll be able to see it again in the big screen, uh, which would be which would be really really lovely. Uh, but I have to say. I am a little disappointed that it's not entirely 100% going to be in cinemas and I mm. didn't think this day would happen. I didn't think this day would come.
1: No, I didn't. But it has. Yeah, I think you know, I think they've they've kind of held off presumably as long as they think they could. Uh there has been there have been some commentators in this in the US who actively uh took against, you know, Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan for doing a cinema release for Tenet and said that this was sort of socially irresponsible and and so on. So I think offering the home option means that I guess Disney get to say, look, we if if it's safe to go to the cinemas, the option is there. If you feel in any way unsafe, you can still see the movie. I get it. I do get it. It's been a year that they've been sitting on this. I just really want to be able to see it on the big screen, and I really, really hope that we can. Um, It's, of course, not the only one moving, so Cruella is currently sticking to May 28th, but will also be available for the premium on Disney+. Mm Plus. Luca is going to be entirely on Disney+, Plus for free, as was Soul. So I don't know what that says about Disney's commitment and belief in their Pixar originals, but, you know, it's a bit of a shame as well. In in the two Pixar originals have both gone to Disney Plus with no premium.
0: Now you could look at it as a couple of ways. You could look at it as they go. The Pixar name will will drive more subscriptions because that's ultimately what it's about. I guess for them. For us, it's about the art of cinema, folks. But for them, it's about bums on sofas and monies in pockets, uh, and the art of cinema, obviously, of course, as well. Of but. You could look at it that way, or you could look at it as they have—they looked at Soul, which I thought was, you know, it's a very, very good film, but not as commercial as your usual Pixar stuff. And they thought, yeah. well, maybe this isn't going to make a billion dollars, so maybe that's the same thing with Luca.
1: Maybe, but it's a shame. Anyway, Shang Chi also is moving to this, uh, September third, mm-hmm. so, and it, but it is due to be cinema only at that point.
2: Yeah. Isn't Eternal still down for November, like yep. in in the states yep. at least? Like
1: at the moment, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. We'll see. I guess. Yep. Um, Free Guy also moved to August thirteenth. Kingsman is now twenty second of December. Deep Water is fourteenth of January next year. And Death on the Nile, which has other factors to contend with <laughs> never beyond out. Uh, COVID, has moved to eleventh of February twenty twenty two. So.
0: Do you think it's going to give them time to maybe deal with the fact that one of the actors in that uh, movie has become, shall we say, problematic and As, they might be wishing to replace that actor? Maybe. I
1: don't know what's going to happen with that one. I genuinely don't know what what you can do with a film like that at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I guess somebody's working really hard right now to figure it out, though. Um, mm. So whether that's, uh, mm. you know... Personal replacement on some kind of green screen, or because that's not a film where you can easily, you know, do a Christopher Plummer cut. That's not a situation like All the Money in the World where you can quite easily, relatively, replace an actor because they're Mm. only in scenes with like two other people. This is a lot of people on a very expensive set Mm. interacting, I think, from what we've even seen in the trailer. So it might be.
0: Having said that, they managed it on, well, I haven't seen Army of the Dead yet, but. I believe they've managed it in Army of the Dead, because they replaced another problematic cast member, Christelia, with Tignataro, who shot her stuff entirely on her own on green screen. Maybe. And then then had to be kind of comped into the film afterwards. We shall see. Uh, Yeah, the Kingsman moving to 22nd of December means that by the time it comes out, and I think that will be the the day it comes out, it'll have been two and a half years after I was on set of that movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure you remember everything clear as a bell, Chris. It'll be fine.
0: Clear as a bell. In terms of the Marvel stuff, so Black Widow moving, Shang-Chi is... September, as you said, Eternals holding fire, and the early buzz in Eternals is glowing.
1: Really good. Yeah, really
0: glowing. Good, yeah. Apparently, a very different movie than we might be used to uh, from from Marvel. Obviously, with all the special effects and whiz bangs and stuff, but uh, apparently, a more lyrical and beautiful movie than we might be expecting. And then we go into Spider Man after that as well in December. So the big thing that I'm taking from this so far is that Loki isn't moving. Mm. So as things stand, there are two days between the release of Black Widow and the release of Loki. Okay. Do you think something's going to shift there? That Loki might move? That You know, surely they won't want overlap to that degree.
1: Oh, I don't know. I think, well, hmm. I mean, look, as long as I get my fix, I'm all right, man. I don't, you know, I, I think the problem <laughs> is, uh, I don't think there's going to be a tie in between those two directly. Right, I mean, we, we suspected if, if there was going to be a tie it was going to be between uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and Black Widow. That was our original speculation, which presumably is not the case or is dealable with. But um, yeah. I don't know if there'll be a, a direct tie between those two. So I guess they figure, you know what, if this is making Disney Plus even more appealing to people, then great. But enough of this Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hmm. Yeah. I want to talk about DC films, guys. Yeah! Good for you, Helen. That's where the Ooh! real news was this this week.
0: Have they added another hour to the Snyder Cut? What's happening?
1: <laughs> no, but there was a bunch of other DC news. So the Shazam sequel has added Helen Mirren as Hespera, uh, which is exciting. She is a daughter of the great god Atlas, um, who was the one who carried the world on his shoulders. And um, she's apparently a newcomer. She she doesn't come from the DC comics. So I don't know, but that's coming that's exciting. along. Yeah. So yeah, so there was Shazam sequel news. Um, Michael Keaton was saying some slightly confusing things about whether or not he's in Flash as Batman. Um, don't trust so, anything. I mean, you know, can we can we actually trust anything anybody says on on things like that? Uh far more exciting, uh well, sad sad news. First of all, let's take the sad news first of all. So, Warner Brothers has said no to an air cut uh, air cut of Suicide uh, Squad. So,
0: and what's the sad you know, news? You'll just have
1: to <laughs> you'll just have to keep campaigning. That's the sad news there. But much more exciting: Emerald Fennel is going to be writing a Zatanna movie for DC, and Zatanna is kind of like you remember Vision in that episode of WandaVision where he's pretending to be a magician but actually can mm. do magic. Um, okay, so imagine that, but in really good fishnet tights. And that's kind of Satana's character. She's quite cool. She uh, is a is a successful stage magician who is also an actual magician. Uh, she's occasionally a member of the Justice League, um, but David Blaine. Like David Blaine's
0: a stage also magician. Occasionally and can also occasionally a member do- of the Justice League. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I guess that's pretty much identical then, but with less of a beard. And as I say, much better. Um, fishnets. So yeah, I mean she, look, she's done great, great work with Promising Young women. so I'm really intrigued to see mm, yeah, what she does awesome. with Satana. Mm. I'm excited. Um, I think that's good news. That's only like half the DC news. There's even more. Um, Piers Brosnan is going to be playing Dr. Fate in Black Adam. That's a bad guy as well, although the character is sometimes Veer's anti-hero.
0: I hope he yells, well maybe you shouldn't be living here! At some oh, That would be,
1: be amazing. But yeah, he's the son of an archaeologist <laughs> who... Um, has, was taught powerful sorcery skills. Everybody's a magician this week. Basically, it's it's where it's at. <laughs> Except for Ron Livingston, who's taking over as uh, Henry Allen, father to Barry Allen, in the Flash movie. So he's taking over the role from um, Billy Crudup, who, of course, we also mm. recently in the Zack Snyder cut A movie, Justice which League. I very
2: much hope will contain another slow motion hot dog rescue sequence.
1: Well, we can only. I mean, who else is looking out for the hot dogs? No hero I've ever seen. So fingers crossed.
0: Do you think this is a um, a crud upgrade? <laughs>
1: um, I would imagine it's probably not in terms of how much you have to pay to get Ron yes. Livingston in your movie. However, I was just watching Office Space again the other day. It reminded me how much I like Ron Livingston. I think he's great, and I think he'll be a good kind of fit for that role. He's a little bit lighter and funnier, often not always, but often than Billy Crudup, and that could be a bit more of a a fit for that flash. Yes.
0: By the way, I was just it was just no, a I, funny I, play on words folks. I, I, I just in case people at home are listening to this and they think that I actually genuinely thought that Bron Livingston was an upgrade on Billy Crudup. Let me be clear on this. Nothing is an upgrade on Billy Crudup.
1: <laughs> he is a golden god.
0: He is a golden god. He is a god. golden god. Um, <laughs> yeah. Livingston wasn't he Burger in Sex and the City?
1: No. Wasn't no, he? No. Burger was It was um, Burger. No, he went on with. Was he? He did go with his Carrie. Name was Burger. He did go. Yeah, they broke up over the. They broke up over the scrunchies. Post it.
2: Post it. He broke up with her over a post it. Do you know how I know this because on the absolutely already award winning Pilot TV podcast, Terry oh, no. went on a rant about Burger last week on the episode because she rewatched the final season of Sex and the City.
1: So he was Burger.
2: I don't know who Burger was because I didn't watch the final. <laughs> Wait, I him up City. with
1: Adrian. <laughs> I was getting a mixed up with Adrian.
2: So he's Adrian.
0: Adrian.
1: Adrian is the one who came back in the movie, who's in he is uh, Burger. My Big Fat Greek Wedding.
0: He's Burger. I've just looked it up. He's Burger. Okay. Bow before me in my knowledge of sex and city. Dumped her via Post-it.
1: Yeah, but it was over the fight of, b- about the scrunchie in his book. Oh my he God. He had a New York woman going out to like a restaurant wearing a scrunchie, and she was like, that would never happen. And he was like, well, it's in my book. And they broke up. Anyway.
2: <laughs> anyway, in other <laughs> news, Keanu Reeves is doing a new film. Have you seen Woo! this? So yes. Keanu Reeves was uh, involved in working on this comic book, Berserker, in which I presume his character goes around looking for vowels. So this is B-R-Z-R-K-R. Uh, I very much hope they take the Berserker song from Kevin Smith's Clarks and use that as the theme tune, but assuming they don't. So this stars uh, will star Keanu Reeves is in the main role, and he is an 80,000-year-old immortal. And it's good casting because when he's 80,000 years old, he will look exactly the same as he does it's, now. I,
1: I, I'm, I'm surprised he's actually giving that away about himself because it's been talked about for a long time now. Like It's been an open secret, and now he's just coming out and admitting it. I, it's amazing.
0: going to finish off with some very good news. Our old podcast mucker, Gareth Evans, his latest movie, Havoc, is gaining pace. Uh, starts filming in a couple of months' time. Uh, Tom Hardy signed on to Star a couple of weeks ago, and now they have added Forrest Whitaker to the cast. So, this is very, very exciting news. I cannot wait to see what Havoc <laughs> Gareth is going to wreak on that movie. Hooray! Good for him, good for him. All right, now it is time for this week's final guest, and it is Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard, indeed, uh, who is the star and writer of this week's Six Minutes to Midnight, which is a World War II set thriller, which will be premiering, like Emerald Fennel's Promising Young Woman, and The Snyder Cut for that matter, exclusively on Sky Cinema and Now TV as of this week and in it Eddie Izzard plays a teacher who goes to a boarding school for German girls in England just before the beginning of World War II, just before the outbreak of World War II and there is all sorts of spy shenanigans and clandestine goings on. And Incredibly this is Eddie Izzard's first screenplay and it is based on an incident that she heard about in her hometown of Bexhill-on-Sea and had lodged in the old brain for years and years and years. So when we got together in Zoom a couple weeks ago, we talked about that, why it's taken her so goddamn long to write a screenplay, and of course her movie career, which contains fewer comedies than you might expect from one of the greatest comedians this country has ever produced. Here we go, me talking to Eddie Izzard. Do please enjoy. Delighted to be joined on The Empire Podcast by the star and co-writer of Six Minutes to Midnight, Eddie Izzard. How are you?
6: I'm very good, thank you. How are
0: you doing? I am good. I am good. I'm very, very glad to... Well, I guess we're closer to midnight than than, we are in this movie, so maybe it's not such a good time. But uh, but I did want to focus, Eddie, on the co-writing part uh, of this movie first, um, because you've been making movies for a while now. Your first movie was in 1996. You're a prodigious generator of your own output. And frankly, I'm a little surprised it's taken this long for you to write a screenplay.
6: Very good point. And should add to that, I broke into Pinewood Studios when I was 15. And as Spielberg did it, he must have been 17, 18 or something when he broke into Universal, and his career got going, boom, it seemed almost like the next day. And Mine took another, uh, it was of another 40 years. My career took 15 years to go, and it was 40 years before I wrote my first film. Because I think maybe one of my strengths is to is knowing what I can do and what I can't do. And I struggled greatly well, uh, well, because in stand up, I developed this, uh, and I'm dyslexic, so I developed this way of writing where I didn't write, I I I, I would workshop my shows, even in French and German. I, I go in and I develop a show by going Bonsoir, hey, qu'est-ce qui se passe, and I just muck about in French, talking about cats and dogs and, and banjos, and so that doesn't lay, lend itself to to writing drama uh, or thrillers, and so I knew I had to I had to push through this, and I can write. And, and, I've, and I have these feelings and these stories inside me. I also found analysis difficult to do. I used to sit in front of the in, in cinemas and, and just say, all right, I'll analyze through this and, and, uh, and work out how things work. And I, and I found that difficult to do because I would constantly fall into the film again and go, oh, oh, that's how, oh I'm supposed to be analyzing this. So the 40 years was needed. I just needed that long to, to, to also get my acting into a good place so that I could put myself into a lead role. Without saying you have absolutely no experience, and we don't think you're going to be any good in this. I'd already, you know, I'd done Victorian Abdul with Stephen Frears and a whole bunch of other things before, and I was Tony nominated and, and for Joe Egg and back in uh, and on Broadway. So I've I got enough stuff under my belt that if I did write a show, uh, a film, show, a film with, with a role, then I could put myself in, and people think, okay, well, let's. And Judy's going to be part of it. Great, so Judy Dench in it. So it just took me that long to get there because I yeah. knew I wasn't good enough before
0: her. Oh, I'm sure that's not entirely the case. No, but... no it,
6: is, it is true that, yeah. and, and it's a strength to know what you're weak at and what you can get stronger at.
0: So, I'm guessing then there's not a drawer full of of screenplays that you started and didn't didn't finish.
6: No, there's a drawer full of ideas in my in the drawer in my head. Um, there's about five films uh, there. that that need to be extrapolated outwards. And I'm, I'm in a good place to get them going actually now. And I need to do that. And Kellen Jones, who I wrote with, I did a film Castles with the Sky with him. Then he went and wrote um, Set Fire to the Stars, playing Dylan mm-hmm. Thomas, and, uh, and it, Andy got on. Our director directed that with him and co-wrote with him. And so uh, Andy came in on this one. So and Kellen's just a—he's a great motivator because he just goes and does things and gets things done. Whereas I think about them and I'm slow about them. Going, okay, I don't want to muck this up, and in not mucking it up, I don't get anything going. So. It was great. Once i got, I, I'd already been developing the show for about five years and not getting that far before I started working with Kellen on Six Minutes and then things got a lot faster um, because he's, he has a great engine on it.
0: That's interesting. I mean, are, you, are you in the same room? Obviously pre-pandemic, are you in the same room? Do you need someone there to chivvy you along, so to speak?
6: No, I think I need to, someone to write with so we break down story. Mm. Just the idea of me separating story from, from, uh, from script and that script is a progression of beats. Uh, and then the dialogue can drop in. It just took me ages to analyze that and work out how that worked. And I could have done that by writing loads and loads of scripts. But for some reason, I had to, I had to come to this the way I had to come to this. And now I'm, I'm ready to, and I need to pull these out of me. And also, I wanted to be, I wanted to be in politics. I wanted to get into the, you know, uh, uh, be a current MP at the last election. And it looks like I'm going to have to wait to the next election. So I have got these years here, which I should... Pull two more films out of me and get them up and running. That would be. That's what I should do. Um, and I'm going to just target drama from now on.
0: That'd be tremendous. And uh, that's an interesting uh, uh, revelation there as well. These five ideas that that you've had noodling around in your metaphysical drawer for a while um, are they a little bit like Six Minutes to Midnight? Because again, another surprising thing about this is that people would know you for for your comedy. This is not a comedy. This is a this is a thriller. So, are these all dramas? Are these all thrillers? Are you not interested in 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 pursuing a, a big screen comedy?
6: If anyone knows my film drama career going back twenty five years, it is you know from this one going back to Victorian Ample playing Edward the Seventh, going back to Lost Christmas, uh, playing Treasure Island, playing Long John Silver. You know, uh, Hannel the TV series, which is I just do dramas. That's all I do in film, where I do dramas. I sometimes actually play comedic characters, say Whiskey Galore, say Get Duked, uh, that's now on Amazon Prime. Um, those are more comedic uh, stories, but but I just play the character for itself in a story that might have a, a twist, it's sort of usually a black comedy twist on it. Um, so that's all I want to play. So these stories are, yes, uh, dramas, um, series. There is one comedy thing, idea that I have, but I wouldn't be in it. It would be, a, um, it'd be more like a, a summer cross between The Simpsons and, and The Muppets. Um, that, that's gonna happen. Um, and all these, these other films will happen. I have to do them. I just have to do them. Um, but I just I have, I have to pull them out of me. It's really hard to get me out of it. What I need is a deadline. If they said this is happening and this is the date, then, then it comes out of me That's without a deadline. That's how I get my marathons done. That's how I get my stand-up shows done. I have a date, and you've got to. This has got to happen. So um, that's what gets things done.
0: So you're not in the uh, the Douglas Adams camp, then? You know, I love deadlines. I love the sound they make as they fly past the bushy noise they make as they fly past. You're not. You're not in that camp.
6: Um, no, I don't like that because uh, if, if 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 you're you know a very in-demand writer, I think deadlines could you'd quite say I'm I'm missing that deadline because everyone would want that book from you, uh, that book, that screenplay, that whatever. But uh, I need to have a deadline where I have to do it. There's too much money riding on it. Uh, People have been hired. I would, I would arrange it like that. So I couldn't miss the deadline because if there is a deadline, I will get it done. And if there's an idea that I can miss it or fudge a deadline, then it it just doesn't happen for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I talked to Chris McQuarrie, you know, the great writer and director um, who I did, uh, um, Valkyrie with, and I said, Do you? He says, The only reason he gets things written now is for deadlines or for, or for for finance, you know, if you need the finance, he's in a much better position. He said that before, he was doing endless uh, um, uh, gigs. He's going from gig to gig to gig now, directing and writing. So he, he's in great Because his second, was his first. I think it was his first script got the Oscar. Yeah. His first script.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. One of the interesting things about what he did with his first screenplay, as he as he told me in the past, is that he didn't know there were any rules, there were any screenwriting rules, so therefore he didn't respect the rules. This is your first screenplay. How how respectful of the rules were you?
6: I think I was more well, it was also it was working with Kellen and then with Andy got as well. So I had to be more beholden to the rules because I I knew that I was weaker in certain areas. And I had ideas, but it's like in stand-up. I've got better at stand-up so I can actually, I can invent stand-up, come up with something. say, I like this idea. I don't like that idea. I'm going to work on I'm going to expand that idea. That idea's got legs. And uh, actually, in some of the stuff that we dropped from Six Minutes to Midnight we didn't make it in, there's ideas in there that say, i got to use that in another film or in maybe the The second or third installment of Six Minutes of Remind, which are already in my head, but because they're too good to lose. And I've I've checked it with other people. Do you like this idea? Yeah, I'm sad that that's gone. Yeah, I'm sad that that's gone. So that is a good idea that needs to come back. And they're quite me-ish ideas. They're the the dramatic version of me because um, I don't, I'm not trying to write comedies, but if there's something that's quirky, like Wes Anderson's stuff is fantastic. And and I I want to sit somewhere between Tarantino and, and Wes Anderson. In that spot, whatever that spot is, <laughs> that's where I like to. Like.
0: That's amazing. So, so this is the first movie that's been pulled out of you, so to speak, yeah. and uh, it's an incredible story as well. And and if my understanding is correct, you've almost stumbled upon it. this has been under your nose for, for many many years.
6: Yeah. Well, I um I, I grew up in a town called Bexhill on Sea, seaside town, and uh, and I uh, it's if people that know it's Brighton, Hastings, south of south of England. And nothing much happens in a seaside town. And then I, I got got a bit known. So I became patron of the museum there. And I can show you this and this, but I don't that's the, but that's, mm-hmm. if you've seen the film, which mm-hmm. I take it, you have, that's mm-hmm. the, the photograph I was showing, which had the British, it's a bag, blazer badge. I'm showing the blazer badge of of the girls' school, the Augusta Victoria College Bexillon sea And it's just a girls' school. And, you know, you have a, laser badge and it has the british flag and the nazi flag on it and that's the thing i thought those two flags right next to each other what the hell is that there is a film in that i thought and so just 10 years later we have the film and now it's coming out and um it's beautiful and judy dench jim broadbent came to play and jim broadbent's playing charlie who drives a bus and my granddad was charlie who drives a bus in bexhill So there's resonances like that. Miss Rochel ran the school, and Judy is playing Miss Rochel. The school was actually there. Himmler's goddaughter was at the school. Von Riventrop's daughter, who was ambassador, the German ambassador to Britain, his daughter was there. These are German girls who were learning English, being ambassadors for National Socialism, making friends with British aristocracy and uh, anyone who was on the far right. And they were at a finishing school in in a seaside town, listening to Hitler's speeches, doing the Nazi salutes. and and the locals were getting more and more angsty with them going, you know, Krauts go home, crowds go home. And they were going, we're going to, there's going to be a war and we're going to win it. And mm-hmm. this was going on. We know this because this is documented evidence. And uh, mm-hmm. they were happily zeke-hiling each other. Um, that's that's what it starts from. That's the truth of what it starts from. And then our story is laid on top of it.
0: It's fascinating because I, I you know, you've seen many, many, many World War Two movies in the, in the past, but I've don't recall too many set in the immediate build up to world war II, with everything looming large and it's such a huge psychological weight on people's shoulders and your character is is caught in the middle of this and he's
6: now that's an interesting point if you've seen your things have you heard of a character who's uh, german and british because i don't i'm thinking there must have been one but i can't think of one off the top of my head but of course you'd think it's a it's, it's a boon in some way to but in fact it is dramatically but it, in reality The if you're half German and half British, then and the Germans won't trust you because they don't trust the half British bit, and the British don't trust you because they don't trust the half German bit. You are a double agent just sitting there, and Mm. um, and no one trusts you. So it's this interesting place that it puts him, and he's and he's trying to fight for humanity because that's the position because he loves both countries. And the essence, is, and if you love Germany, if you love Britain, if you think of it before thirty-three, that's just they're just both countries. But between thirty-three and forty-five, Hitler kidnapped the country. I've chosen to use this word: he kidnapped the country. And I'm just le- listening to a, 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 an audio book, which is about there's a lot more people who wanted to resist Hitler. Only a third of the people ever voted for Hitler before he got in and stole the levers of government. And after that, if you go, so the two-thirds of people did not vote, vote for it. But then they started doing, like, having these referendum and they said, oh, you got a big vote on, you know, 99% because it was, people were forced to go along with it. If you didn't salute the Nazis going along, you would you get thrown in a concentration camp. Um, you had to hang their flags out of your windows, all this kind of stuff. So it was enforced, this enforced stuff and, and freedom of speech just well, disappeared. So um, it's an interesting Ticking Clock story on the eve. It's really a World War Two story, just on the eve of World War Two.
0: Absolutely, and uh, and Eddie, I've got to let you go. Uh, but we were talking about how you've done a lot of dramas in your career, and obviously that is correct. But uh, you've also done comedies. Uh, you've also made made comedy films, and I wanted to ask you about one specific line in Mystery Men. I don't right. know if you remember this. There's a line that I, I this line's embedded in my mind, uh, which is "Disco is not dead. Disco is life." Is that a line that you remember?
6: <laughs> I do <sure laughs> remember that. Uh, um, that was disco is on disco. Disco is love, and I and I I chose and I, I hold out the BGS. I think it's the I think it's the the, the album cover the BGS. Um, and I and I they had a whole selection. Which one do you want? I didn't actually have to do that, but I ch- I chose to to use that. And then also I am something like I am I worship the god of hair care. <laughs> um, that was my line, which I added to. And I said to the, Mickey, the, the props guy, I said, can you make me a, an aerosol? You know, because if you do aerosols and you do a, a, a lighter, you can make it into a flamethrower. And I said, I just want one that's just a flamethrower, even though it's an aerosol. So, and I think it, it just turns into a flame. So he <laughs> made that for me. That was Mystery Men, which is my first Hollywood film. I said, I don't want to do comedies. And the first thing I was doing was I was doing a comedy. I suddenly realized, I'm doing a comedy. I said I wasn't going to do these. Anyway, <laughs> I just played the character.
0: I played Tony B. It's all worked out. It's all worked out in the end. Uh, I'm going to let you go. It's been an absolute pleasure. Eddie Izzard, thank you so much indeed. Thank you very much. Okay, so that was Eddie Izzard. I'm a to big film out this week, but should we start with Six Minutes to Midnight? Sure. Shall we? Let's do it. Let's talk about Six Minutes to Midnight. Hell's Bells.
1: I was really wary of this going in, let me be clear, because I feel like we've seen a few of these kind of Sky original movies recently and they have aired on the side of twee, you know, and, and very Tweedy, but, but mostly twee, just this kind of very safe middle England, um, nostalgic kind of nonsense. And I feel like this one was a little bit harder edged than I expected actually. So I was expecting it to be a slightly introspective. I hadn't watched the trailer because I'm a very professional person, um, I was expecting to be a, a slightly sort of introspective story about this, you know, teacher going to this school, which turned out to be full of Nazi girls. And it's a little bit more exciting than that I thought. So uh, Andy Goddard, the director, I think, has made it into something that has a little bit of an echo of something more Thirty Nine Stepsy. There's 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 some action here. There's some tension. There's some actual drama. And because my expectations perhaps were too low and too restrained. I was pleasantly surprised by that because I thought it was gonna be just slightly dry. Um, so what instead we get is Eddie Hazard's Thomas Miller, you know, thrust into this very uncomfortable school full of really creepy sort of midwitch cuckoos looking girls, um, who are literally the daughters of senior Nazis who were sent to the UK to learn English. Um, Judy Dench as their head teacher is very Judy Denchy, you know, she's she's intimidating, she's authoritarian um she's capable of withering you with a single glance and yeah and it looked like he was going to have his work cut out for them to just you know teach them english but it turns into be turns out to be a little bit more exciting and a little bit more interesting than that and i was pleasantly surprised by this i have to say i thought good performances all round and a really good cast i mean jim broadbent mm. turns up for about 5 minutes you've got james darcy in mm-hmm. in a bigger role Um, you know, really, really good people all the way down the list, um, Mm. which I think helped give it an extra certain something.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised for this one as well. Um, not least because the track record, as you say, of uh, Sky Cinema original, it's not great, is it? It's not great. You
1: know, it's just been a little bit like, like they're, they're sitting down and asking themselves, what would my great grandmother want to watch? Um, yes. And, and, and with respect to great grandmothers, here. you know, yeah, there is. This is, is. a
0: very Sunday afternoon kind of mm. movie. I, I can see this being a sort of movie that, you know, I would have watched with my dad growing up, who was, who loved, he, lo- he oh he loved his war, did my dad. Oh, I loved it.
1: All dads do, don't oh, they? It's a thing.
0: People dying, uniforms, yes, please. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, this would have been absolutely up his street. And, uh yeah, it's got a fair amount of Daring to Do. Mm-hmm. I like a 39 Steps comparison. I think that feels very, very, uh, very apt as well. And uh, Eddie Izzard is good value here in yeah. in this role. There are moments, you know, Eddie Izzard is 58 now, 58, 59, I think 58. Let me just double check that to get that absolutely right. 59! Jeez. 59 years old. And there are scenes here where she has to hide behind desks and stuff. And I just like I couldn't do that at my <laughs> age.
1: It's all the marathons. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's all you. the marathons. Marathons the are marathons. the answer. All the marathons.
0: Oh, and by the way, if anyone is wondering, and they may not have heard, they may not have been keeping up with current affairs and whatnot, uh, if you're wondering why we're referring to Eddie Izzard as she, that's because she and her are now her preferred pronouns, as she announced a, a few weeks ago. So there you go. Uh, yep. But obviously, in this movie, she is playing Thomas, who is a yes. man. Yeah, male character. So. Uh, but there were scenes where, where Thomas is hiding behind desks and stuff, and I was just thinking, wow, if that have been me, my knees would have cracked ages ago. <laughs> and I would have just given, you know, because there are you know, people around the corner, Nazis, who might hear my cracking knees, and that would be it. The movie would be over.
1: I mean, there's also a bit of running, you know. So there's yeah. like that would be more yeah. th- impressive athletics to many people, but no, for you, it's the <laughs> crouching behind a desk.
0: Oh, you know, the, the running I could handle, running absolutely <laughs> fine, but the crouching behind a desk, no, it's and the getting up as well. If I had to, <laughs> if I had to get up from movement, a crouch, yeah. oh, impossible, oh, impossible. Forget <laughs> <about it.
3: laughs>
0: really, really is. Uh, but this is a sort of movie that makes me think. You know, Eddie Izzard has done loads and loads of movies. Uh, this this is this is her first screenplay, uh mm. which she co-wrote with Andy Goddard and with uh Kellen Jones, who did set fire to the stars a few years ago. He did? He did. Set
1: fire to <laughs> all the stars? Yeah. That's impressive, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Aren't stars on fire by their very nature.
1: <laughs> oh my god, spoil sport.
0: Yeah, I think you might be crippling with Dylan Thomas there, my friend. <laughs> 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 to, to, be, to be honest. Yeah, it, I thought this was a solid, handsomely mounted movie mm. and uh maybe just shows that You know, Eddie Izzard, as as she said in the interview with me, you know, there are maybe some other screenplays that hopefully she can get around to. Uh, But, you know, fair play for writing yourself a role in your late 50s where you're an action hero. You know, fuck it. Just go for it. Why not? Absolutely. Why the hell not? Uh, so we're going to give us one three stars. Three stars then to Six Minutes to Midnight. And actually, Helen, what you mentioned James Darcy there and it's very much mm-hmm. a James Darcy kind of week this it week is. because Made in Italy, which is the movie that I interviewed Liam Neeson and his son Michael Richardson for last week, is out this week as well on F.O.D. and that was written and directed by James Darcy. You're kidding. It is his directorial debut.
1: Well done, Jarvis.
0: Indeed. Well done, Jarvis. The Jarvis from Agent Carter, and of course, Avengers Endgame. Let's not turn this into an Avengers Endgame spoiler special.
1: We should not do that. Portals,
0: no, no, no. Let's not do that again. Oh God, oh God. Um, but uh, I think I'm the only person here who has seen Made in Italy. Mm. And again, I thought it was a perfectly fine, decent, straight down the middle drama. And its its chief talking point is the fact that the story of the movie has such parallels, as we discussed in last week's show. With the true life experience of Liam Neeson and Michael Richardson, who of course, Natasha Richardson, Liam's wife, Michael's mother, died years ago in a tragic, tragic accident. And this is a story about a father and a son who years after the death of their wife mother have to deal with. With that trauma, the trauma that they've maybe buried for years uh, in a way that I don't think Liam and Michael did. I think they they dealt with it brilliantly, especially in the spotlight that they were under. My God, I can't even imagine what that was like. But in this movie, Liam Lees plays a, an artist, a bit of a bohemian, uh, someone who did not deal well with the death of his wife. Uh, his son is now a a curator, he is trying to buy an art gallery from his wife. They're about to get divorced, got married far too young, far too soon. And uh, so, to try and get money to buy this art gallery in London, wouldn't you know it, they just happen to have a property in Tuscany. And uh, so, off they go to, uh, to Tuscany to try and renovate this property. And there they encounter uh, a free-spirited young Italian chef, who maybe takes a shine to Michael's character, and Lindsay Duncan, who is a forbidding, fearsome real estate agent as well. And, uh, you know, this is, I thought, a perfectly pleasant, again, as I say, straight down the middle, uh, compelling domestic drama with, with hints of comedy. It really comes home in the last 20 minutes or so when there's some real emotion and heft and weight, as you might imagine to you know, this father and son dynamic on screen as they begin to bond over their shared grief. Uh, so I'd give this one three stars as well, to be honest. I'm in a three-star kind of mood this week. So three stars <laughs> then for Made in Italy. Um, and let's jazz it up this week. We're going to finish with a big film. All right. Yeah. This is the sort of thing that wins awards. You know, you can just pivot <laughs> last minute. I could just dance around, dance between the raindrops. It's, it's the sort of thing we can do. So the next one we're going to talk about is a film that Jimbo has seen, I know. I was as shocked as you were. Uh, <laughs> and this is I resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the artist formerly known as Romans. It is a movie called Retaliation. It stars Orlando Bloom, uh, who will be one of our guests on next week's show. Uh, he was this week's Twitter pinata, but uh, I had a great time with him, and we'll we'll hear that on next week's show. And this is a movie that's been on the shelf for pretty much four years, and it's mm. Orlando Bloom as you've never seen him before. Um, unless, of course, you've seen that picture with him of and Katy Perry on that boat. <laughs> Paddleboard, I think you find.
3: Paddleboard, yeah.
0: Uh, well, it was pretty big, but I wouldn't go that far.
2: <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Jimbo, tell us about this. Oh, I mean this film. Uh, If you are looking for something grim, soul-crushing, and quite possibly triggering, then Retaliation has everything you need. Uh, (laughs) This, this, as you said, this is a film that started life as Romans, referring to the New Testament book when it debuted in Edinburgh back in 2017. So as you say, it's been on the shelf for a while. This one's directed by Ludwig and Paul Shemazian, and this stars Orlando Bloom as Malky. And he's an abuse survivor, consumer kind of self loathing and suppressed rage, and, you know, having been raped by his family priest as a child. He now works in demolition and is taking a church apart with a sledgehammer, which is to be honest, the kind of symbolism this film features a lot of. (laughs) Um, When the priest that abused him kind of comes back to the town he lives in, all the stuff he's barely keeping a grip on, like his girlfriend and his temper, uh, all goes off the rails entirely. So like this this is not a particularly subtle film, to be honest with you. See, earlier reference to symbolism. It's definitely not a feel-good film. Uh, But there is something about this, and it hits really, really hard. I've got to be honest with you, like Orlando Bloom, who... Let's be honest. Like Orlando Bloom was one of these guys where you felt like he was going to be massive off the back of The Lord of the Rings. It never really happened for him. And I often think, in part, that was due to the dire theatrical cut of Kingdom of Heaven. But I digress. Anyway, Orlando Bloom plays this part incredibly. Like, he really, really perfectly captures the kind of... It's like that sort of formless, focusless, uncontainable rage that consumes so many victims of abuse, you know, and the silent suffering is kind of in every scene of this film. Um, he lashes out at people, he redirects his anger in every other way than the appropriate one, uh, and you, you really believe this kind of fury and this shame that he feels um there's there's some really really brutal scenes of kind of self-harm in this as well like it's a real gut-wrencher uh so i think people probably need to know that going into it but honestly huge credits to lynn for this i think his performance was incredible i also think janet montgomery who plays his girlfriend in this emma she's really really good and the scenes between those two there are a couple of them that are really raw really believable uh I, i think she's outstanding I mean, Retaliation is not easy viewing. Um, I think it comes Mm. with like a dozen trigger warnings. But I think if you also, if you're looking for like a powerfully affecting film and a a look at the the damage that abusers do and how their actions tear lives to shreds decades after the events, then Retaliation, which should have kept its original title, i got to be honest with you, uh, does do that. So uh, yeah, good film.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really good film. Mm. Uh, Surprisingly powerful, I thought, Mm. as well surprised by everything this week I'm just I'm just very just generally surprised. I'm just yeah. easily surprised uh, <laughs> yeah it does feel at times a little bit like they're just heaping misery on this poor guy like everything <laughs> that could possibly go wrong for him does go wrong for him but I thought it was incredibly powerful there's a there's a scene towards the end I won't spoil it but it's a single shot that that holds on him and he's Terrific in it. Absolutely mm-hmm. terrific in it. And I, I mm-hmm. know from speaking to him and from reading interviews with him that he was really invested in this movie emotionally. And this is why he is doing the publicity rounds this week for a low-budget British movie that was stuck on the shelf. and could quite easily have fallen through the cracks, almost did fall through the cracks, and was almost never released. Listen, it's not going to... Embroider your perfect Sunday by any stretch of imagination. <laughs> Do not put this movie on on a Sunday. Do not put it on on a Friday or indeed a Saturday for that reason, for that matter. But uh, I'd say this is more of a Tuesday night movie, more of a Wednesday night movie, maybe even a Thursday night movie. But it is a powerful movie and a really good one that does deserve your time. Uh, so I'd go four stars for this one, to be honest, because it really, really did take me by surprise. That's not my main criteria for giving things four stars, by the way. <laughs> If you're listening to this and you're thinking of making a movie. Just having something pop out on screen every five minutes is not going to get you a four-star rating. Uh, making a really, really great movie that has a, an unexpected uh, emotional impact that leaves you thinking about a movie long after you've seen it does. So four stars then for retaliation. And finally this week we are going to talk about Ammonite. Uh, Hellspells, a lot of spotlight on this one. Mm. Francis Lee yeah, made a scintillating debut with God's Own Country. Uh, And uh, he has moved to different territory, a different period uh, with this movie as well. Mm. What can you say about Ammonite? Uh, Does it deliver on his promise?
1: I think so, yes. I I don't think it's quite as wowsome as, as God's Own Country was. But I do think it's it's really beautiful and incredibly tactile. So so this is the story of uh, Mary Anning, who's played by Kate Winslet, who is kind of scratching out a living uh, in her hometown, uh, basically collecting fossils, which men then take credit for. I'm um, like, I'm not going to be around the bush. They totally, totally do. And even though she's a scientific talent, as well as just a, a fossil finding talent, mm. um, they will... Basically, take her theories back to London and, and claim credit for her discoveries. But she at least has enough, just about enough, kind of status to get by. And she meets a, a young couple. Uh, the the man is one of these paleontologists who's very keen to buy her findings. And his wife, uh, Charlotte, who's played by Saoirse Ronan, is recovering from a miscarriage and is is in a bad way. And he basically decides to leave her there at the seaside under Mary Anning's care, essentially. To try and uh, recuperate and hope that the sea air will somehow magically make her forget any grief that she may be suffering. Mm. And the two women basically form a slightly unlikely bond uh, because you've got this incredibly practical, down to earth, very earthy person in Mary Anning and this, you know, slightly airy fairy, just removed, grief stricken young girl uh, finding some kind of. Common ground and and way to connect. Uh, it's just really beautifully played. You know, you've mm. got Charlotte going to the beach in this gorgeous white dress, which is completely inappropriate to this very messy environment that she's going into. And it's and you can just feel, you know, the winds on your face and these waves crashing against the shore and the pebbles rubbing together and the mud underfoot. It's just incredibly tactile. Even before you get to, you know, spoiler sex scenes and love scenes between the pair of them. In the end, it's more about their differences in class and economic status uh, than you know the fact that their love story is is taboo at the time. Mm-hmm. But it's really, really beautifully acted by everyone involved, and it's very much. I think it's less of a two-hander maybe than God's Own Country was. Even then, you know, uh, I know that I think Josh O'Connor had a slightly bigger role in that, but it was it felt quite equal. This one really does feel like Kate Winslet's film, and it's very yeah. much. It's in her hometown, literally. You know, Gemma Jones is playing her mother. You've got uh, Fiona Shaw as this woman whose connection to her is not immediately clear, but is clearly exists. And just these kind of little mysteries that you kind of uncover as the as the film goes on are fascinating. It adds so much texture to it. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I did love it. I I don't think it's quite as unimpeachably brilliant as God's Own Country, but I do think it's incredibly good.
0: It's. Strangely not been in, really, the Oscar or BAFTA conversation. Mm. So what what happened there?
1: I think it might just be a little bit too unassuming, you know, and a little bit too quiet. I mean, God's Own Country got some well-deserved BAFTA recognition, but it didn't trouble the Oscars either, as I remember, to any great degree.
0: Not the Oscars, no.
1: No. no so I I I think maybe it's just been overlooked you know they haven't been out um you know doing the rounds particularly they haven't heavily screened it it was screened at the LFF but it hasn't been all over the place it may just be that it Mm. didn't get enough attention I don't know Mm. but um but I mean certainly in terms of quality I think it it absolutely should have been I think Kate Winslet should 100% have been in that conversation Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um and because she's as good as anybody in the category and that is a really strong category already
0: indeedly beadly as they say, on all award-winning podcasts. Oh God, I fucked this again. (laughs) Uh, Four stars then for Ammonite. And that is it on that note for this week's Empire podcast. (laughs) Almost certain to be award-losing Empire podcast. (laughs) Join us next week for more film-related fun. It's a bumper episode, folks. It is a bumper episode. It's the episode that'll Tied you over the Easter weekend The long Easter weekend Uh, Because of that uh, Jimbo may not be available on next week's episode So you can all breathe a sigh of relief The three fact structure section will be much shorter (laughs) as a result (laughs) But yes Join us for next week's show When we'll be joined by Orlando Bloom Well I've already mentioned him Of course, star of Retaliation We'll also be joined by Francis Lee Director of Ammonite And Kemp Powers the co-director of Soul and the writer of One Night in Miami, talking about his brilliant year. Uh, so a cracking lineup there, folks, a cracking lineup. But until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious pre-Easter occasion, it is goodbye from Squadcast names. So suez me. Helen O'Hara. You may need to explain this, Helen, in case people <laughs> listen to this years from now and they don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah,
1: I, I was out of inspiration in terms of film news today. So mm-hmm. I but I have been inspired over the last few days by the story of the giant shipping container that um <laughs> navigated a dick in the ocean and then got stuck <laughs> sideways. Not kidding. Oh, well, Look it up. Um, yeah. Navigated a dick in in the sea and then got stuck sideways across the Suez Canal, <laughs> causing literally hundreds of ships now uh, to be to be yes. stopped in their tracks on either end. And, and uh, when
0: we say navigated a giant dick. Yeah. In the ocean. It yeah. as in its shipping path through the path shape of a penis. Through the shape of a, yeah. a
1: of a cock and balls, yes. Not that Orlando
0: correct. Bloom was out on the paddleboard <laughs> and it had to circumvent he did, he had his manhood. Oh shit, We're gonna have to go the long way around. <laughs> 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 Orlando is in full bloom. <laughs>
1: Uh, no, that's not what... Yeah, okay, that's no. All
0: right. to that. Okay. Amazingly, that didn't come up when I talked about it with him. I mean, and, and the subject <laughs> either. Oh, is <laughs> it hot in here? What's going on? Uh, oh, my God. Uh, oh, my word.
1: <laughs> anyway, toodaloo. Toodaloo.
0: Bye, Hells. Uh, it is goodbye from Revenge of the Nerb the award-winning James Dyer.
2: <laughs> Thank you. The next episode of the sure-to-be-award-winning Pilot TV podcast oh, will be out I, on I
0: Please, Monday. I beg you. I, I, I can't. Once again, please, I'm on my knees. Just do not give this person an award.
1: <laughs> for all our sakes, baby.
0: Yes, I mean, for humanity's sake, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, well, well done, Jim. And I hope uh, I wish you all the best in your... <laughs> Uh, entry future for endeavors. the British Podcast Awards <laughs> And your future endeavors <laughs> Yes <laughs> oh. And of course It's goodbye for me John Smith Raise a glass to Smitty Everybody To Smitty yeah. uh, I'm off to work On my awards entry For the British Podcast Awards If you know what I mean Thanks for listening
1: the See you next time The violence
0: We'll see <laughs> Bye